Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, two big stories to hash over this morning and work through. One, Larry Kristoviak is out at the University of Utah. And two, the Utah Jazz get a win on the road in Boston. Uh, as far as the Jazz win, it was not perfect. <laughs> there, were, there were ebbs and flows to the game. There were issues. There were big turnover problems early. Not so much late, although a couple that looked really poorly timed. Uh, but you can't really complain when you only have four turnovers in the second half. So they really cleaned that up after 11, I think 13, with some shot clock violations in the first half. Uh, so 17 looks like a big number, but really much better in the second half. Donovan Mitchell didn't shoot the ball well in the game. But, man, did he make two immense three-pointers late in the game. The Jazz lead had gone down to one in the final few minutes, and he had a three to make it four, and the Jazz got a stop, popped the ball loose. He scooped up the loose ball, raced ahead, found Mike Conley in the corner for a three, and the lead went right to seven. And when Boston tightened the game up again, Mitchell hit another big three. And uh, he was not shooting the ball well and went in the lane and got a shot blocked, which started a Boston fast break. But uh, it cannot underline (laughs) the clutchness of those two three-pointers late in the game. And the Jazz get the win. Rudy, Rudy really went to work. Blocked a lot of shots, challenged a lot of shots, changed a lot of shots, had a dunk in traffic that was very impressive in the fourth quarter. Um, He got in the game in the fourth quarter, and the Jazz got rolling. so we got the best of the Jazz post-game show coming up as the Jazz get. I, I think it's a win that's got to feel good. Uh, Boston doesn't have a great record. They're now one game over 500, so they're the very definition of mediocre. But they got a couple talented players, and the Jazz have struggled with teams like this as recently as Golden State. You know, 500 team, but a couple of talented players. Certainly Steph Curry, very talented. And uh, the Jazz got it done. I think it's got to feel good. They're 2-1 and one since the break now. They're going to Washington. Washington's got major issues. It's certainly a winnable game. Get that, and then you can talk about finishing the trip strong. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if they can back up uh, one good game with another. It was. It was not a great game, but it was a good game, and I thought they really competed. And uh, you know, Conley, uh, Ingles, Ingles, and Clarkson came in, and that that bet unit with Niang and Clarkson and Ingles. Uh, that was they were they were strong. The game the Jazz were really struggling when they came in, and they got it rolling. The Jazz had the one point lead at the half, uh, trailed by two going to the fourth quarter, and found a way to win the game. So good W. Jazz now five and five in the last ten, two and one since the All Star break. So we got more of the Jazz coming up. We got the best of the Jazz post game show on the way. Uh, the other big story yesterday was Larry Kristoviak out at the University of Utah. Uh, the buyout. Uh, is over six million dollars. I saw a couple reports that it might be a little over seven. Actually, um, the U in the release they sent out said that it would be handled, uh, you know, with athletic department funds, you know, not using any taxpayer money or institutional money or anything like that. It's it's athletic department. So trying to uh, get people to be not too worried about the finances. Um, I think the two words you got to use the accountants like to use are opportunity cost. Yes, it could have given Larry another year. I don't think it would have gone well. Uh, but they could give him another year, and then the buyout would have been even lower, and they would have been a year removed from the pandemic. But how much momentum do you see it in that year? You know, there's been the discussion of giving him another year in the past, and he's gotten it, but the record's gotten worse every year since he went to the NIT Final Four. He's missed the NCA five years in a row. They were in the NCA or in the NIT the year after um, their last NCA appearance. They were in the NIT 
Final Four, I think actually in the NIT title game, uh, the second year after that. So then the last three, nothing. Uh, you know, three games over 500, one game over, one game under. He's 45 and 42 in his last three years. And to put that in perspective, with all that momentum of uh, a Sweet 16 and an NCAA second round, followed by an NIT and an NIT Final Four, he came up with 45 and 42. Meanwhile, Utah State changes coaches in a league where you don't get as many automatic or you don't get as many uh, at-large bids, and Utah State's gotten in three years in a row. Twice they won the tournament, and once they got the at-large bid. And BYU made a coaching change, and they've gotten in two years in a row. And I realized there was no tournament last year, and there was no bid, but all all the power rankings, all the metrics, all the Ken Palms of the world had them well into the tournament. So I'm giving them credit for it. That's five for five. For two schools that change coaches locally, that don't have as much money uh, as Utah, certainly don't have the leagues that give you access to so many at-large bids. And, you know, you're in a power five, and you check the tournament field every year. They get most of the at-large bids. They get most of the high seeds. And the Utes are falling further and further away from that. So I think it was going to happen. I think it had to happen. I don't think there was any real choice to be made there. Um, unless your boss tells you not to do it because the optics are bad, <laughs> that that would be the reason. Um, so now they'll move on, and we'll see where they go. Now, obviously, there are those of you who follow college basketball locally who say, hey, they ought to look to Craig Smith at Utah State, and they ought to look down to BYU and, uh, and hire Mark Pope and you know make a play for these guys who already know how to get it done in Utah, who've recruited some local guys and had success here. Um, but a couple things with that. One... Although BYU um, doesn't have access to Pac-12 money and power football money, you know, they do have deep-pocketed boosters. Who, if they want to match, they can if BYU wants to. So don't know how hard to push the money angle. I don't know what, how far they'd be allowed to push it as far as paying Mark. Um, and I don't know that money's the only thing that matters to Mark. Certainly money matters to everybody, but it's not the only thing that matters. Um, you know, does he view the, the Pac-12 as a better platform to get deeper into the NCAA tournament? Or does he think he can win more at BYU and in a few years go to a Power 5 league that is more prestigious than the Pac-12? <laughs> the Pac-12 hasn't had a champion since Arizona in 97. He's got to play to Kentucky. He's got to play in the NBA. He's got high goals. Um, you know, Could he end up in a Big 12 or could he end up in a, in a Big 10 school? Um, you know, he played in the SEC. Maybe he'd end up there. You know, I'd, I don't know where this is going for Mark. Um, so I don't think there's any slam dunks for the U. And then I think from the youth's perspective, you know, Mark Harlan has worked in California and Florida. He's literally worked on both sides of the country. They put in the release that it's going to be a nationwide search, and I expect that's because it's going to be a nationwide search. This is a guy who worked at UCLA and was involved in the basketball program when Ben Howland got let go. They let go of a coach who won a conference championship. He'd been to three Final Fours and literally won the conference title the year he got let go. You know, and it brought in Alfred at that point. He went to USF. He changed some coaches there. Um, so he'd been in Florida, been in California. I expect it'll be a national search. It'll be interesting to see if he tries to pull somebody in with NBA ties. You know, that that's a factor. Uh, but do, if you bring him out of the NBA, you know, what kind of, what kind of recruiting network do they have? Um, does he find a coach who's uh, successful at a lower level, a non-Power 5 school? There are a lot of ways to play this. Um, It'll be interesting to see what Mark Harlan does because, you know, he's been running the athletic department for a while, and I don't want to under, uh, 
undervalue everything that's got to be done, especially in a pandemic, you know, dealing with all these layoffs and budget cuts and schedules and the Pac-12 commissioner uh, getting forced out and you know, all of that. But signature moves for athletic directors are building facilities and hiring a football coach and hiring a basketball coach. Well, when Harlan took over, the football stadium renovation was already, you know, the, it was in the pipeline and on the way. And so it's a matter of getting that finished. And there'd been a big building boom. A lot of uh, other things on campus had already been done. Not everything, uh, but most of the major projects, certainly the football center and redoing all the basketball facilities and putting in uh, new basketball facilities. So, you know, with Kyle rolling, there there wasn't much to do. You know, I mean, don't screw it up, certainly. Uh, but this is going to be a major hire. It had to be done, and he did it. And who's he going to bring in? And he'll be judged by that. He won't be judged by what happened with Larry. You know, that's... You know, kind of the the final chapter in a very long Chris Hill <laughs> Chris Hill marathon. You know, massive. What am I looking for? War and Peace, right? Some one thousand page uh, massive uh, book um, because Chris was AD for so long. And this will be this will be the first big chapter for Mark. It'll be interesting to see what kind of hire he makes. Uh, there's a great tradition at Utah. They've only had nine coaches since the NCAA tournament started. And eight of them have taken a team to the NCAA tournament. Six of them have gone to the Sweet 16. Three of them have gone to the Final Four. So this is a, a, a program that if you add up all the wins in the history of the program, they're top 15 in the country. And if you look at winning percentage, they're top 15 in the country. Four Final Fours, 16 Sweet 16s. There's a lot of tradition here. But recently there isn't much. So it'll be interesting to see who he wants and who he can get and how this plays out. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk BYU football. Spring football is underway there. The Utes are going to have media availability at 8 o'clock this morning. We'll have you covered there. And we've got uh, Kalani Sataki next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Kalani Sataki, BYU football coach, spring football underway. He's meeting with the media at BYU. Here's Kalani. Now, I wanted to ask about Chaz because we were just talking about his impact on the field as well as off the field and just the impact that him opening up and talking about things like mental health and and how that's continued to impact the program because I know that's an ongoing challenge for, for players and coaches and even academics. He mentioned the academic advisors, everybody to try and deal with those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's it's not not just the football team, but it's everybody in general. You know, I think it's some something that uh, Tanner Mangum had brought that up, and when he was playing here, and so I think something that we can rally around. We we don't want to hide from it or um, ignore it. You know, so I think that's something that we've done as an athletic department and as a football team is hire people that are specialized in that that can help our players. Um, and I know the school has taken the right steps to get the right people to help a student body, you know, that, that may um, struggle with that and even uh, faculty and staff. So I think, I think it's something that's real that you have to deal with. And, and it's one of those things that you just can't ignore. And so uh, any opportunity that we can have to help our lives get better, I'm, I'm all for it. And, and definitely just excited that we have that opportunity to get our players in, in a better position to feel comfortable and, and, to, you know, 
to get through some things and, and battle adversity. You know, I'm sure looking back as a player, you remembered it was handled very differently, you know, at that time period than it is now. How, how, how proud are you of the progress that maybe that's being made to help these kids and, and help the coaches and everybody address these things and be, do it more healthy in a, in a more healthy fashion? Yeah, I say let's, let's keep it rolling. I mean, anything we can do to improve people's lives, that's, that's what I'm all about. And if there's a way that we can help um, someone, uh, you know, with their life and help them feel better about things. And then I think it's important that we do it. I don't think it should be, I would like it to move as quickly as possible and to help as many people as possible. It's, it's what's happening in technology. It's what's happening in life is that we find ways to do things better. And, um, you know, so I, I think something, something in regards to it's like regarding mental health and, um, overall health, I think we could, we could move as quickly as possible. That I'd be a, I'd be all in favor for that. Hey, Kalani, uh, Fessy told us Thursday, I think it was, that uh, it's pretty even in practice between offense and defense. Um, has that? Do you agree with that first? And then is that a good sign for the defense, which is supposedly a little younger, a little less experienced than the offense? I think if you're looking at the 11-on-11 stuff, yeah, that favors both sides have had their uh, – have done well and, and – um, and then they've had some issues I and mean, some, there's just things that we have to do better. But I think this has probably been, um, I would agree with Fessy if he said that it was a little bit more evened out. I, th- I think that this has been one of those times and where um, one isn't just completely dominating the other. And I think it probably means that we have some pretty good depth on our team and, and that our guys have been working really hard at, not a lot of, I would have to say, it's not a lot of missed assignments either. So uh, the mistakes that we're making are things that have to do with uh, technique and uh, very correctable. But uh, I like the fact that we have a lot of talent out there. we got to keep developing it. And, and I like that the defense is, is uh, you know, everybody knows that they're young, but um, they're, they're definitely able to, to play and they have the capabilities and the talent to make it work. So uh, that, that's right now in practice ball. You know, when we get an you know, option where they – you know, when you're playing a real game and those emotions, it's just different. So what we're trying to do is simulate as much as possible so that the muscle memory takes over and we can have guys that, that you know, in a time where they're facing all those different emotions going into a game that they can rely on the muscle memory to take over. And, and there's no other better, better way to do it than the 11 on 11 ball. All right. Let's go with Jake and Hans. Kalani, you guys are entering week three, if I'm not mistaken, now of spring ball. Uh, at this point, as you mentioned, you're trying to simulate as much as possible game reps, that type of stuff to get guys up to speed. But what can you do to keep guys engaged, I guess, in the quote-unquote dog days here as you hit the midway point? No, I mean, if, if they're getting bored now, then and we're obviously not practicing long enough, you know. And, and so uh, I think these guys have been waiting for this moment to play ball and, and you could tell that there's a lot of excitement going into practice one and I'd say that they've kept that they've kept the passion and the energy going on and um, I think that's just kind of this, what's what's been the uh, what's happened from the pandemic is that there's just a lot more appreciation and that goes into it and, and, and they don't take anything for granted so I'm, I'm really thankful that these guys bring it every time and 
and even the young guys do it. You know, there's a lot of energy going on. So, um, it's really competitive. So there's a few fights here and there because guys want to compete and want to win. So I haven't seen any letdown in all the practices so far. And it's not, to me, it's not, it's not been even an issue. And I, I, I credit the coaches for keeping things um, uh, installed and keeping things rolling, but also just trying to change the different emphasis is whether working on the red zone or two minute situation, four minute. Um, you know, we're, looking, we're working on so many different things that our players just actually love it. And I like to think that our guys are big time students of the game and want to keep working on their craft and, and, and making things better. And so there's an opportunity for our guys to learn. I, I would have to say them studying more film. It's, it's been, it's kind of, it's been a very contagious part of our program is that, uh, the film study has taken over and become so much more independent and even players watching a lot more film than they had in the past. And, and that's probably happened in the last year and it's carried over to this year. So um, I don't know if that's anything that we do specifically other than the coaches and the players just really buy into what we're doing as a program. And they see that it creates many, many, many uh, programs. Uh, Kalani, if we would have had iPads back in our day, we would have watched more film. So, <laughs> hey, uh, you're going to seem really old now, Hans. Yeah. We were talking with Coach Witt today on air, and he mentioned he had 120 kids in spring ball. Uh, where are you guys at numbers wise? And what does that do? How does that change spring ball for you guys? Kind of having overload numbers. Yeah, we're the same, but we, you know, we we've been able to play a lot more. Um, in the past, you're 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 not getting that high of numbers, but I think now, um, I think for them, they had a lot of guys coming back, and for us, it's a, it's a lot of newcomers. But uh, you know, you, you're able to play a lot more football, and and what happens when you play a lot more football? There's a lot of guys end up getting banged up, and we've had enough of those. But um, we're not really going to stop playing football. We have to keep it rolling and. I mean, there's an emphasis on, on taking care of each other and being smart, but there's also an emphasis on uh, playing football and, and playing 11 on 11. So that's uh, just, we have to kind of balance it out. There's, there's a, there, it's, it's, it's one of those balancing acts that you have to do as a coaching staff to kind of feel how the, the, the feel the team, the health of the team. And then how much do we really want to push these guys? And I think, I think we've, we've got to figure it out for right now up to this day and we'll see how it works tomorrow, but it's an ongoing thing. It's one of those things that you can't just set in stone. You have to be able to feel it out day to day. Go ahead, Ben. Coach, I know quarterback competitions are always of the most interest. Um, in your opinion, what, what are some of the key factors of a quarterback competition when you're trying to figure out who is the guy? I mean, you've gone through a bunch of them since arriving at BYU. It seems every year there's something going on. Uh, have you guys figured out like all the different factors and tenets that you guys are looking at? Yeah. So uh, a good question. I think you're looking at that. Um, some, sometimes when you're, when you're competing for a spot, you, you look at, okay, this is a, a two man race. You know what I mean? And you can kind of figure out who's going to be the starter. And um, I never really liked that. I always like it when I have too many guys to figure out. And so we're in a position now where I think we have a good group. And I'm actually impressed with all the guys and A-Rod's done a great job coaching them. And um, I, I feel like there's a lot of guys that are capable of helping us win games. And so 
Uh, if you're looking in regards to quarterback, I feel comfortable with four guys right now and the way that they've progressed. Now, eventually we're going to have to get to a point where we're going to need to focus on uh, whittle it down and make sure that we can get as many reps as we can to the guys that we have to get ready for the season. Um, and we're starting to do that a little bit. So we'll see how, how this thing breaks down the next little bit. But uh, I can tell you that I like being in a position where there's a bunch of them. You know what I mean? And, and so you can't have too many O-linemen. And uh, you find the five best, and then you start them. And then the next five are the backups. And then you maybe hopefully have five more. You know, so quarterbacks, hopefully we have one, play the best one. And then the second one's not that far off. Neither's the third one, neither's the fourth. And that's what we're looking at. And, and, and if you want to, if you want to get more depth on the team, then you got to have quality players that can do it. And, and that's just more than just one position. That's in all of them. I feel really good about where we're at right now. So in regards to quarterback, that carries over to everybody else. Uh, I want to have as many as possible and make it really difficult to decide who who's the best one. And, It'll show, though. In time, it'll show. As a, as a follow-up real quick, Kalani, um, uh, it, pre-draft, there are many NFL analysts that in evaluating the film offensively, and especially Zach Wilson, they talk about the pro concepts that are implemented into the offense. Um, how, how much credit does does Aaron Roderick deserve for that in uh, in those, those, those schematics, et cetera? And, and what could you say about Aaron Roderick that, that is, is, you know, that separates him maybe from coaches out there um, in what he's doing offensively. A-Rod is a great coach and a great, he has a great mind. He's been around some of the best coaches in, in football. Um, and then whether it's a graduate assistant or an assistant or coordinator, the guy has soaked up so much football that he, he can, he can tell what, scheme fits the best guy, you know, for the quarterback and for the talent that we have on the team. And, and the best part about him is that he's all, all about the players. And so it's not just that he's coaching Zach Wilson last year. I saw him coaching the whole group. And so every quarterback that was here on the roster got better last year during the season, you know, and, and that's, that's uh, speaks to how special he is as a teacher. And I'm going to talk about him because he won't do it himself, but he, he knows what he's doing. I trust him. And he's been the big part of our success here, you know, since he got here. And, and he, he knows a lot of football and, and he knows how to get his guys to, to be efficient and throw the ball well. And so uh, I trust him. And, yeah, I, I think he's I think he's brilliant when it comes to game football. He's going to hate that I'm talking about him like this. But he also doesn't care to beat his chest and have everyone talking about him. I think people know his capabilities and other coaches know him. And, and I think he's in a really good spot right now. Um, especially running the program. And, and it was a quick, easy decision uh, with the coordinator job when, when that did happen because I felt like he's a big part of what, what we do here, you know, offensively. So did I answer that? Yeah. He, I, he yeah, doesn't I think... care about who gets credit for what. I'm just going to tell you, he doesn't, that's, not his, that's not why he does things, is to get credit for, for how smart he is and how he, he does things with the offense. He's just going to go to work and, and and doesn't really matter who gets the credit. He just as long as it, it focuses on the players, and that's a perfect fit for what I want. I want an offensive coordinator. Yeah, and and to that point, I guess the the thing that I'm getting at is many in the NFL world are seeing these 
pro concepts implemented into BYU's schematics, which makes Zach and his transition to the next level all that much easier. So, and a lot of them are passing concepts. Um, and some of it's run game too, but a lot of it's passing concepts that we saw. Yeah, and, and, a, and a big part of that is is putting them in a position to throw their best balls, right? So, um, looking at that A Rod and the way he does his his game planning is okay. What's you know, you're looking at baseball? What's Zach's best pitches? You know, and let's put him in a position where he can throw that over and over and over again, and give him a change up and work on things that can help help him become you know a total player at, at QB. And then let's work on his athleticism, see what we can do to help um, everyone see how, you know, what utilizes athleticism so we can score points. And uh, he's done a great job at that. And, and I think he's doing a really good job this spring working with Jaron and Baylor and Soljay and, and Jacob, getting those guys in position to have success. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, it does. The pro game is so different because you're looking at all these different throws that everyone's throwing. And, um, you know, our quarterbacks, it, your best throws are going to be the one that you feel the most comfortable with and throw the most accurate. And so A-Rod finds a way to get those guys in those positions. All right, let's take a final question from Jake. Yeah, Kalani, building off that just a little bit, obviously Zach's in the middle of this pre-draft process. How many conversations have you had with NFL personnel to this point about him? Many, yeah, uh, myself and A-Rod and, and – and, um, you know, Fessy, we, we talked to a lot of different people um, about Zach, but also a bunch of, about a lot. We have a lot of prospects that I think will fit the NFL and, and it's generating a lot of interest. So, yeah, of course, we're, we're having these conversations. And I think a lot of people want to get to know him, uh, person, his personality, like the type of leader that he is, how he how he um, connects with others, you know, and and uh, that's why I think they're, they're doing their homework. But there's also, I think that's also why he's, he's um, a fast riser is because you're talking to all these people that are around him and you guys have known Zach for the last three years here playing, you know? So imagine if someone asked you your impressions of him, you guys would, would have some really good things to say and it probably raises his, uh, his draft stock even more. So, you know, maybe I should ask you guys, if you guys, if they're talking to you too and see how he does in interviews and things like that. But I think that, you know, if you're running a team, you're going to try to make sure that you get the right pick. And and, uh, and if you're going to make moves like the NFL is doing right now with free agency coming up to it, you know, you're probably going to you're going to trade and do all, all these other things and make moves in, in, the, in the draft. And you probably need to make sure that you you do everything to make sure that you get all the background and and, and every pick that you, you do and you make sure that's the right one. So that's it's a lot of fun that we're working with it. And we'll be able to see him throw next week in pro day. I think he's going to do a great job. There's BYU football coach Kalani Sataki. When we come back, the best of the jazz post game show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all new zone sports network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz get the victory in Boston. They beat the Celtics. It was not a perfect game. There were stretches that were quite ugly. But there were also stretches that were really good, and you got to be competitive enough to make big plays and big moments, and the Jazz did that. Donovan Mitchell was not shooting the ball well. Uh, hit two enormous three-pointers late in the game. Mike Conley hit a big one, too. And the Jazz uh, kind of held off the Celtics and got the win. Jake's here with the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz get back to their winning ways last night in Boston. Coming up with a win over the Celtics uh, by the count of 117 to 109. The Jazz now 29-10 and 10 on the season. Uh, they were led by Donovan Mitchell at 21 points. Jordan Clarkson with 20 coming in off the bench. Uh, Rudy Gobert with another great night. 16 points, 12 boards, 4 block shots. Mike Conley, 17 points, 5 assists. And uh, the Jazz come away with uh, with the win for the Celtics. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have nice nights. Tatum had 29, Brown had 28. But uh, after getting up uh, on the Jazz early in the first quarter, it was really a battle. And the Jazz ended up uh, winning somewhat comfortably in the end. Let's get you some postgame sound. Let's start with head coach Quinn Snyder. Okay, we'll start with Tony Jones, the Athletic. Okay. Coach, you guys haven't played a ton of clutch minutes um, this season um, because you guys have been so good uh, overall. What does it mean in games like this against a good team on the road to not only be able to to, to play clutch minutes per se, but to, to make the right plays uh, down the stretch like you made tonight? Well, it's important. You know, I think, you know, our, our guys in the second half, when we started defensive rebounding, and, you know, got some things um, in transition and built a little bit of a lead. And we were able to, to really execute on both ends, I, th- I thought, late. Um, Donovan, obviously, with a, with a huge bucket. Um, you know, he and Mike working together, uh, I think, is, you know, a heck of a combination for us late where we have, you know, different places we can go. But I just – I liked our confidence. Um, and we were able to get some good shots. They – you know, Boston does a great job, you know, with their activity and their pressure on the ball. And, you know, we had a few moving screen situations. It's hard against them because they're so aggressive. But I thought our guards did a really good job. Um, and I mentioned, you know, I thought Donovan's three was just a, it's a big bucket. Next up, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, uh, Rudy was pretty dominant in that fourth quarter, especially down the stretch. What were you seeing out of him that made him so effective late against the Celtics? Well, I I think one of the things, and we've talked about Rudy, is his activity, um, his ability to do multiple things on defense and to make multiple effort plays. Um, You know, and when we're solid, um, the other four guys are on the court. You know, he has a chance to be even more impactful. And I, I thought, you know, really the biggest thing with Rudy um, is our ability to communicate uh, with him and with whoever's in, in the game or in the action um, because that, that allows him to, to make plays. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. You found a way to get Bogey involved in the post a little bit. What, what have the last you know, 72 hours been like for him and, and then to see him kind of pay off in the, in the late second half of the game? Well, he, he's, a, he's a clutch player and – you know, I, I mentioned before, you know, he's he's a guy that's been been finding his rhythm as the season goes on. And, you know, I have so much confidence in him, whether it be, you know, he got going tonight on the post. Um, I thought he made, you know, in addition to scoring the ball, getting fouled, he made a couple great passes out of the post as well. 
So we need Boyan to be effective, and he was great tonight. And I just want him to play. You know, don't think, just play and be aggressive, and that's what he did. David James, KUTV. Coach, the turnovers got cut more than half in the second half. The total really went down. I think it was 11 in the first, four in the second. What do you attribute that to? Well, I, I think, you know, at the beginning of the game, um, it, it had to get cut down because we were on pace to have about 50. Um, you know, we, I think we had six in the first, you know, five minutes or something like that. Um, one of them being an offensive foul, but, you know, it, it just being solid and, and, and being precise with the ball. And it was good to see us, you know, find a focus there. And that's something obviously that we've talked about and that, you know, we'll continue to try to do better in our execution with that. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder as his team wins 117 to 109 over the Boston Celtics. Let's now hear from the players. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. All right, we'll get started here. First question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy, so you were plus 16 in the fourth quarter alone tonight. What was working for you so well down the stretch? I think I just tried to, you know, really lock in. Uh, and do all the little things that the team needs to to win this game. And, you know, I think we, we did a great job playing defense in fourth. And uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, we we did a good job from, for the most part at the end, you know, executing. And, you know, we were about to get to the line because they were, they were falling. And uh, and when we get the stops and we set our defense, it was, uh, it was hard for them to score in, in half court. Sarah Todd, Desert News. Rudy, what do you think the the difference was between the defense maybe in the first half versus the second half? I mean, I think we our physicality went up, you know, as the game went on. Uh, I think I was personally I was better in the in the end than I was in the beginning, and uh, and I think you know we did a uh, we turned we turned the ball over uh, way too much in the first half and. They scored a lot of points of these turnovers. So uh, as soon as we, we started to play better offensively, we it was harder for them to score. And you know, we we say it all the time, but when we when we set our defense and we make the other team play in half court, it's a it's a different game. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Rudy, I think you have twenty blocks in your last five games now. Is so are you doing something differently that's allowing you to block shots? Are you helping more aggressively or, or what's causing it? Um, the, the funny thing is that I, I don't really chase blocks. You know, I, I don't think, you know, some games I'm, I, I might get seven blocks, six blocks, but that doesn't mean I, I necessarily play better defense. Some games I get zero blocks and I play great defense because guys are not even getting shots up around me. So uh, guys are challenging me. You know, so I, I got to keep, you know, being there and uh, and I got to keep, you know, doing what I do. And uh, and when they don't challenge me, it's a win too. So, you know, uh, you know I'm just going to keep keep being active, you know, keep making sure I make the right decisions. Uh, and, uh, you know, if guys going to keep challenging me, I'm going to be there to block the shots. David James, KUTV. Rudy, I know the games are coming fast and furious every couple of days, but does this win feel just a little better to beat a team with a couple of stars and a winning record and to do it on the road when things didn't go well early? Does it just feel better and feel good? It feels good because we play defense. 
And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, win, lose. Obviously, we, we're trying to win every night, but, you know, some games you, you play bad defense, you play, you don't play great, but you win. And tonight, I really felt like we, we locked in defensively. And, uh, you know, it's a great game to, 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 to build on. And, uh, and, and, you know, we, that's the team we want to be. And we know that, you know, we, we shoot a lot of trees, we try to get to the rim, but, you know, we know that uh, on nights when we, maybe we don't make as many trees, uh, if you don't play defense, we, it's a little harder for us to win. And when we play defense, you know, we, we get a position to win every night. And, uh, and when it's playoff time, uh, we know that the defense is going to be the key for us to, to get where we want to go. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. I want to ask about that block you had on Jalen Brown early in the fourth quarter and two things about it. One, kind of what was your focus there? What were you trying to do when you end up isolated out him on the perimeter? And two, you know, I think there's a time in your career where you may have like flexed after that block rather than running down the court and getting that dunk. You know, how have you developed in kind of that get to the next play mentality? I think it comes with, uh, with experience. You know, I know that uh, those, those little moments – uh, when you lose your focus, whether it's talking to the ref, uh, whether it's, you know, talking to to another player, uh, flexing. I mean, I still flex sometimes, but, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, those little moments at the end of the day make the difference. And when I'm able to keep my mind focused on, you know, what's important and on the next play, you know, instead of being, you know, instead of making a difference of just getting the block, you know, I'm about to get the block, get the dunk, and it's a four-point swing, you know. So it's those are the details, I think, that make the difference between a, a good and great player. That was Rudy Gobert, 16 points, 12 rebounds, an assist, and four block shots for Rudy as he was very good last night against the Boston Celtics. Let's keep the postgame sound rolling. Let's now hear from Donovan Mitchell. First question, Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, Don, um, you guys haven't played a ton of clutch time minutes. Can you just kind of explain how those feel differently than the ones leading up to them? Um, I think the biggest thing is just how we execute. I think we've had a few games where we've been in, in that situation, you know, um, and we've executed. We may not have won every time, but we've executed. You know, I think tonight we did a good job of it. Um, a few mistakes, but, you know, I think overall, I think we did a solid job just executing, getting the looks we wanted, running the plays we wanted, how we get there. Um, and it may not always result in a win, but, you know, as long as we execute the right way, you know, I think that's all we can ask for. And I mean that in both ends of the floor, um, you know, because they're a talented team. They're going to hit shots. They're going to do, uh, do a lot of good things on offense and also play really good defense, you know. And I think for us, just being able to execute on both ends of the floor, I think made the difference. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, Donovan, in that last kind of seven-minute stretch, you come in and, you know, there's the turnover, missed shots and stuff. And then in the last four minutes, you, you know, really won the game with those two threes. Was it a difference in terms of execution kind of in in the simplicity of what you were doing or kind of how did you approach that? And uh, the, I mean, the, the first turn, you know, with the blitz, you know, kind of short. <laughs> uh, so they had uh, Robert Williams and Tatum on me. I could have just called the timeout. Um, but I'm stuck in that in that corner. That's a tough one on me. Um, I'll take the floater, you know, the missed floater. I'll take the – there was another turnover I had. It's just little things that I can fix. Um, but it's all fixable. It's all things that I can look from and build off of. But, you know, when it's time, it's time, you know, and I think you just can't afford to have mistakes in those moments. I've had moments where I've made those mistakes under four minutes, 
you know, but for me, it's all about the next play. You know, if I'm out here worrying about the turnovers or the missed shots, then, you know, I'm not going to be able to do my job, uh, which is close out games. And, you know, when you have, when you're going against a team like that, you know, who has multiple weapons like we do as well on their offensive ends, trying to keep the lead as, as big as possible because, you know, they may make, they made a few shots at the end like they like they did. You know, if those shots don't, those threes don't go in, I don't make those plays or my teammates don't find ways to get me the ball to make those plays, then maybe a different situation. Next up, Ben Anderson, KSL Sports. Donovan, how do you handle that label hero ball versus, you know, actual hero and kind of the pressure that comes with making the right choice or making the wrong choice and you're either kind of the goat or, you know, the hero? <laughs> um, that kind of just comes with the territory, to be honest. You know, you're – oh, man, it's, it's, it's funny you say that. I think it just comes with my, my job. You know, it comes with, you know, what I've been given, the opportunity I've been given since my rookie year and – you know, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes shots that everyone takes, I take. I, I, everyone doesn't take, I take, you know, as part of my role. And, you know, it's called hero ball to some, but not to me. It's the shots I work on, you know, shots that may look tough for the shots I put hours and hours in the summer. Whether they fall or not, it's about whether I execute. And, and sometimes it's just make or miss. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not even just about hero ball as far as shooting. It's making a simple play, too. Um, and I've gotten progressively better at that. I can get better at that. But, you know, for me, it comes with, like, really my job. It comes it comes with that having the ball late, you know. You got to be able to think through everything, think the game, find the plays. And whether I'm labeled, it's labeled, uh, labeled hero ball, I, I really don't care. Um, I think my teammates and my coaches want me to put the ball at the end of the game, and that's all that matters. I know what I can do late in the game, and that's that. David James, KTV. Donovan, turnovers have been a problem since the All-Star break, really for two and a half games, even in the start of this one. But in the second half, only four for the whole team. What happened that that, that turned around so dramatically? Um, execution. I think we did a good job, like I said, of just being able to be precise, knowing what we do. You know, got to give credit to everybody, you know, up and down. JC coming in, making reads. Mike, Boyan, uh, George, Joe, Rudy making pass, passes out of the blitz. Fave as well. That's really all. That's just simplicity. Um, keeping it simple and just being able to, to execute as far as, you know, being precise with our passing, with our precision, whatever it may be. And I think that's really where we turned our level up. Because um, we were, you came in like, man, we're only up one, you know, and we're not really playing our best. So I kind of in our heads like we can be reach another level and um, be in good shape. Excuse me. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Don, Rudy has a pretty incredible block on, on a Jalen jump shot attempt in the fourth. And then that turns into, you know, him getting a, a dunk on the other end. Rudy was pretty dominant that whole fourth quarter once he once he got in there what did you see out of him tonight in terms of what was working for him late that, that maybe wasn't earlier in the game um I think he just set a tone in the fourth you know I think it's he knows when he knows it's his time on the defensive end especially you know I think you know in the beginning of the game it was kind of indecisive we all were and I think with him you know you saw late he was he blocked the shot sprinted the floor and got a dump like that's the epitome of what we want him to do and what he can be really, really good at. And I think that was really, he put his mind to it, you know, um, and he's, he's, he's done a great job of that, you know, finishing, dunking the ball instead of missing the layup on um, who was it? Tatum, uh, Jason Tatum, you know, he lays the ball up, 
you know, it's different when you start dunking on Tice. You know, I think that's the level, you know, from here to here, you know, and it's little things, you know, and that he, he saw it. We know he knows it and he, he went out there and did it, especially in the fourth and, you know, on all fronts, just being there. I think it was his presence definitely alters shots, changes things. And he understands that and he took it to another level in the fourth. Sir Todd, Desert News. Don, we saw a couple of like heated moments between you and Jalen. Um, I know that you guys are close when you're, when you're close with a guy like that, does that make sort of that on-court rivalry a little bit hotter? Like, you know, each other so much you want to go at each other. Yeah. I mean, it's, what's fun. You know, I love, I love playing Boston. And I think they say the same thing because we're all cool with each other. You know, like I grew up knowing Jason and, and Jalen Kemba narrated my uh, AU teams documentary. You know what I mean? I've played against Tremont Waters in, in high school. So like, I know a lot of guys on the team and I think it's what makes it fun. Um, I think, you know, that right there was, was nothing. It was just, you know, he hit me, so I hit him back. Simple as that. But, you know, that's my guy. Those are my guys. And it makes the game fun, I think, being able to go out there and just kind of put on a show and, and try and execute the best for our team. And I think that's what makes um, a special. And it's, it's fun to see the, the, the come up, especially for the, the three of us young guys that kind of coming up and, and doing our thing. I think it's, it's pretty dope. There's Donovan Mitchell, 21 points for Donovan, five assists, two rebounds. You heard him uh, talk about hero ball and playing in the clutch. Donovan hit a big-time three in the fourth quarter to really put this one away and seal the deal for the Jazz victory. Let's continue on with Jordan Clarkson. Hey, Jordan. We'll start with Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Hey, Jordan. I heard on on your walk-off interview that Quinn had kind of gotten after you a little bit after the Golden State game about – um, maybe passing out, making plays for other guys. Can you maybe be a little bit more specific about what that conversation was like and what you took away from it? Uh, I mean, he ain't really like, I mean, get get on me, but we had a conversation about it, you know what I mean? Um, it was just about uh, just making plays, uh, what it does for the team and, and all that. So I just, uh, you know, Took it to heart, and uh, you know he showed us. He actually it was me and Don. He showed us film and stuff. Uh, we talked about it. Um, you know, just you know, just another growth growth part of my game um, that I'm trying to you know keep keep improving on. Were there certain plays maybe that he was talking about that you should like be passing out of, or certain instances? Well, I mean, it was it was certain plays that Warriors game that I even you know brought up to him where I felt like. Um, you know, I, I was taking a bad shot or making a wrong play and uh, doing that. So at that time, you know, when we're sitting in there, you know, having our one-on-ones, having that conversation with him is a lot easier just because of the relationship that we have. Um, but, yeah, just, uh, you know, I can remember the play like it was – well, it was kind of yesterday, but, you know, it was a play where Royce was kind of running down the middle and uh, – you know, he had it, and I shot a transition three when I should have passed to him. It was a two-on-one, basically, with him, Royce, uh, Draymond, and a boy on in the corner that, you know, probably could have changed the game and just changed the flow and the energy uh, of the game. So uh, just something that I'm trying to keep continue to grow on and uh, keep continue to, to work on. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. So, Jay-Z, speaking of that, you had that play to Rudy with about, like, nine minutes left in the fourth quarter where you cut down the lane and kind of threw that no-look pass to him for the for the dunk. Just how do you – like, how comfortable do you feel 
making plays like that? And, and what kind of chemistry have you developed with, with Rudy over the time that uh, you've been there? Um, you know, I feel comfortable making those plays, uh, especially when they're there. You know, Rudy's a pretty big target. And, um, you know, I, I've uh, had a chance to, you know, build this relationship with him. Um, you know, he coming to me every other time out uh, telling me, you know, what the reads are um, and stuff like that. So us having that open dialogue makes everything easier. And I know if, uh, you know, I ever get in trouble, I could just throw it to the moon. I mean, he's like 7'3", and, you know, he's pretty long. So uh, if anybody switches out, he'll be able to catch it and, and make a play as well. That was Jordan Clarkson. He had 20 points coming in off the bench, 5 of 10 from 3, 6 of 16 from the field. Hit four threes in the first half right when the Jazz needed it. Came in and was instant offense, and the Jazz win. Needed that win last night against Celtics. They got it, 117 to 109. Up next, the Jazz will be in the nation's capital, taking on the Wizards coming up tomorrow night. That game will tip off at 5 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 4. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Donovan works in the lane, stops at the free throw line, pulls up on the jumper, swish. Working the left side with a six-point lead to Clarkson, driving on Williams, bouncing to Rudy. Rudy dunking on Tice, and the foul. Hoya, wee wee. Donovan crosses over, comes off Gobert, rises and fires, hits the three. Oh, Donovan! Wow. Probably the biggest bucket of the night there for Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell, a couple of big three-pointers. He had a poor shooting night going, but in the clutch, came up with two huge threes, plus an assist to Conley for another three that was really important late. And the Jazz beat the Celtics, 117-109. We can talk about everything that went wrong because it wasn't perfect, but keep PK, what went right? They won. They looked good down the stretch. Well, of course they did. Yeah, that Donovan Mitchell shot that Ron Boone said was the biggest shot of the night. Absolutely, man. Who cares what the efficiency stats say? Get, bore me to death some more, why don't you, with numbers. How about big shots? Big shots! That's what Mitchell did. That's why the man's a winner and you're not. <laughs> not speaking to you personally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all the listeners aren't. It sounded like it for who's, a second. Who's, <laughs> no, those who criticize him on the efficiency mm. crap. Oh, okay. I don't know who those people are. The hero I ball. have completely eliminated them from my life. That's the point. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't want to know who you are. I want to know about the guy who hits big shots in the clutch. I don't care what the stats say. I see these eyeballs. God blessed me with vision, and I use it, and I've seen it, and that was a huge shot. Come on, everybody knows that. So that takes you know what to make those types of plays. It really, it really does. To be four for fourteen and rise up, and in a moment when you really need it, there it is. Yeah, exactly. And the SS Kinahan, you're referring to the losers you left in your wake, and they're disappearing over the horizon, and who knows who they really are? The SS Kinahan. It's got a good name. I hate them, and I don't want to be associated with them. I don't want to be associated with negative you-know-what bags who just bring me down. 
That's not the kind of guy I am. Wouldn't it be the SS irregardless? That would be its sister ship. Ah, okay. You always make two. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Good point, though, Yach. Well done. The turnovers that had haunted them in the couple previous games were, uh, were a big problem in the first half, and then in the second half, they just knocked that off. Only four turnovers in the second half, and they shoot the ball well as a team. So if you don't have you know, the turnover is always going to get you zero points per possession. Holding on the ball and getting shots up made all the difference. They shot it really well from three, 19 of 43 as a team, 44%. And those were some awfully important threes down the stretch to get them the win. They get a day off. They play the Wizards tomorrow. The Wizards are 10 games under 500. You never know with COVID, you know, in any game, a team could be shorthand and that could be the worst team you play on a trip. But by record, the Wizards will be the worst team they play on this trip. That game is tomorrow night. Co- co- covid I hope it doesn't get in the way. Ow! <laughs> Somebody had his energy drink this morning. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Let's see if Zach goes for a heat check. Topside, Levine. I'm going home! He's 4 of 4 from three-point range in the first quarter. Reggie Bullock on Tobias. Harris on the back down to the right of the lane. Left-hand dribble. Hangs in the paint. It's good! Tobias Harris back-to-back field goals. Timeout, New York. 96-92. LeBron fires it up and hits a three. Yes, sir! Mello holds the ball above his head, gets it to Dame on the wing, seven to shoot. In front of Nikhil Alexander-Walker, takes a deep three, buries it! Logo Lillard for three! Dame straight away with a deep three, buries it! Dame time in the fourth quarter! It was Dame time in the fourth quarter. He has 50 points. Portland down by 17 with about 5.45 to go, and they go on a 25-7 run. And Lillard had 15 of them. And speaking of you know what, in the clutch, PK, he had all seven points in the final minute, and the Blazers rallied to get the win with an assist from the Pelicans, who just completely messed it up down the stretch. When they were fouling and turning, going back and forth, the, the Pelicans missed two free throws and then turned the ball over on an inbounds play. So some gifts there, and Lillard made sure the Blazers cashed in every single gift card. Yeah, I don't know that the Pelicans know how to win. And the Blazers, I've always said this, anytime McCollum and Lillard combine for 60, they're going to win. Yes, McCollum's back, but uh, in limited minutes, 3 of 10 shooting, uh, 10 points, but they did combine for 60. (laughs) Uh, The other uh, big teams in the West, the Lakers playing, they uh, beat the Timberwolves 137-121. Larry the Laker is an excellent follow on Twitter during a Laker game. He's all over the map. He's such a fan. It's very entertaining. The uh, Lakers pick up the win, so the Blazers pick up the win, and the Jazz pick up the win. So three of the top six in the West playing, and all of them victorious. A lot of of wins picked up, I guess. Yeah, over the last couple of days, uh, nobody giving anything away here at the top of the West. Nothing. Uh, The Sixers won. Tobias Harris paced Philly with 30 points in the victory. And LeBron James, when he's not helping beat the Timberwolves, is joining Fenway Sports Group as a partner, giving him an ownership stake in its subsidiaries. The Fenway Sports Group owns a big chunk of the Boston Red Sox, the Liverpool Football Club, 
Rev's Fenway Racing and Regional Sports Network, NESN. He already owned 2% of Liverpool, so there you go. LeBron piling up ownership stakes. DJ well, and PK. A lot of money. Yeah, he does have a lot of money. Got to put it somewhere, and it seems like franchise values are only Good going up. for him. Up, That's so. what he wants to do, yeah. sure. No wonder he got in there, right? DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. I'm not a candidate for Indiana or any job, and you could come to me with the greatest job on earth, and I would not consider it. I came home to coach and end my career at a small Catholic school. I'm not going anywhere. If I go anywhere, it's going to be retirement, and uh, I'm not looking forward to retiring anytime soon. But I'm looking forward to building a special program at Iona. We're in the infancy stages of recruiting there. We've got to get players that you see on the floor at Alabama, although I'm very fond of the players I have. We've got to get that type of length and that type of uh, talent. Rick Pitino, not up for any of the jobs that are coming open here as the coaching carousel picks up speed. Indiana has already been at Louisville and Kentucky. Indiana's not that far away, so of course somebody would throw out his name for that. The Utah job came open. Mark Harlan announced Larry Kristoviak is out after a decade-long tenure. His statement, the decision comes after a thorough evaluation of the program, both on and off the court. As they do with every head coach at the conclusion of their seasons, ultimately our program needs a new voice, a new vision, and a new leader who can build upon Larry's foundation and lead us to greater heights in the years ahead. It's also a bit at the NPK about the the money, the buyout, uh, that it's going to be covered with athletic department money. Don't worry about that. And now the search begins. A couple begin- donors. Yeah. Now the search co- starts with uh, Mark Harlan. This will be his first major hire at the University of Utah, sure. putting his fingerprints on the program. Kyle obviously has things rolling, and the football expansion was in the pipeline, although he's had to help finish it off. But this is uh, this one's going to be all him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this is what he's paid for. I mean, Chris Hill t- talked about many times over in just casual and then on-the-record conversations, you know, fundraising and hiring the right coaches. I mean, that's the large portion of the job. That's how you're judged. That's what your legacy is about. And so this is Mark Harlan's first opportunity. Uh, you know, I, don't, I haven't had a lot of interaction with Mark, but I've had some. I've enjoyed it. Others... Uh, in, Somewhat controversial behind the scenes people. There's people who've left the department who don't have a lot of good things to say about him, but that's not my uh, interaction with him. Not that my interaction matters anyway, but uh, we'll, I'm excited to see what he can do. This is a man who has been around the block, uh, knows a lot of people, and so now is his opportunity. I don't think anybody argues with the decision to make a change in the basketball program, right? It, it was program has been slipping substantially and so it was the decision to go this way was pretty much obvious and I, and I think Larry uh, understands it too Yak and I were talking what was it last week about how his uh, third of his three sons was a senior playing ball he's got uh, a couple of younger girls he's got a house down in La Jolla and maybe he goes down there and they get in the volleyball scene and that was known we were, we were talking about that last week, uh, Yak and I were. Yep. And so everybody uh, understands this is the business as it is, and now Mark gets an opportunity to really make an imprint. I have no reason to doubt that he won't do a good job. I mean, I believe he will. Uh, I'm excited for uh, his opportunity here to, to see what he can do. You know, there's, a, there's no question there'll be strong, solid candidates. Alex Jensen's name has been out 
thrown around and I've spoken to I've spoken to Alex about NBA jobs and you know he's excited for that opportunity if it would come I believe it will come which is why I believe that's he'll stay where he's at I don't know that but I've talked to people I talked to people as recently as 10:30 uh, last night and they think that he's not going to go back to the college that he's going to stay at a pro level that doesn't mean he won't because I also talked to somebody who said hey you know, he has an opportunity right now, if he were to get the job, to receive a lot more money than he's making with the Jazz. Now, the question is, obviously, when his time comes, and I believe it's when, not if, at the NBA level, well, then, obviously, he can make that money back. So what does Alex want to do? And good for Alex. He's in a great position. Known the guy since he's 17 years old. Covered him his first year at, uh, at uh, Utah. Uh, sharp mind, sharp dude. So if that's not available, there's other guys out there. Or maybe there's ladies. Maybe Becky Hammond gets the job. She seems to be the hot female name as far as who's uh, on deck for coaching in the NBA. So, this is Mark. The ball is now in your court, and I'm excited to see what you can do. Well, we can throw a long list of names out there, and maybe we'll do that later in the show of uh, people who have, you know, local regional ties. But when Mark puts in the release, there'll be a national search. Mm Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is a guy who is an athletic director in Florida and an assistant athletic director in Los Angeles. He's literally worked coast to coast. He's got ties with people in those conferences, people who are in those conferences and moved on to other jobs. So when it says national search, I think he's serious about it's going to be a national search. Doesn't mean it can't end up with someone who's got a tie, but uh, I didn't think the words national search were just thrown in there casually. (laughs) Well, I think it should be. Yeah, right. But it doesn't mean you can't end up with someone with a tie. But he knows. Uh, yeah. Mark knows a lot of people across all the sports, and yeah, you know, this yeah. has been a long time coming. And he couldn't do it a year ago because of the pandemic. Uh, but you know, Chris right. Hill, both on the record and in casual conversations, would always say, "You got to have a list. You never know what's going to happen. You know, you got to have a list." So I'm sure Mark has a list nationally. But. Well, I wouldn't just limit it to nationally, and I don't mean to be cute on that. Uh, you need someone who has inter- international connections, because uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's an international person, but somebody who has the international connections, because obviously the foreign market, why not take advantage of that if you have that opportunity? Well, we've obviously seen uh, uh, Yaka Pirtle, international player, lead uh, Utah to the second round of the tournament. We've seen the St. Mary's program built on a series of players from Australia, so they've that, got two incoming European prospects, yeah, Pella yeah, Larson got a, already in there. We've got a bunch of international yeah. guys on our roster now, and Hanno Metala was on the uh, in the, on the U team in the glory years, the the high watermark with Majerus. So. He's been funneling guys to Utah. Yeah. yeah. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Obviously, I've told both of them, hey. It's going to be, you know, the two of you are going to compete for this position, and and, and they understand it, and they'll come in. We've already had a chance to, to see both of them to some degree. I think last year was important for us relative to Jameis. It gave us a year to evaluate him, and it also gave him a year to evaluate us. That's Sean Payton on the Saints quarterback plans. PK? Yeah. How is this all going to play out? What is Taysom Hill's future? We've knocked it around a little bit over the last couple days. You hear Sean Payton. Is he getting nailed down? No. I think that 
Sean Payton is imminently qualified to choose a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. I think we would all agree on that, right? And so they're going to have this competition. And as we've heard 8,000 billion trillion times, competition brings out the best in you, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's largely true. So this is what, uh, speaking from Taysom's standpoint, this is what he's wanted. This is what he's worked for his entire life as an NFL or as a football player back to when he was a young kid. You know, you want the opportunity to win the starting job as a quarterback. And he's a great story with all the injuries that he had to overcome and not getting drafted, blah, blah, blah. And so now he's got this opportunity. I can't tell you what's going to happen, but he's got this opportunity. And Sean Payton is saying these guys, Winston and Hill, are going to come in here and compete for the job. So there it is. I believe that's true. doesn't mean they might not add somebody else who's better I mean, you every every general manager's charge is constantly improve whichever team you're over. So that very well could happen. I don't know that, but these two right now are the guys who are going to compete, and whoever wins the job, Sean Payton will anoint him as the starter. It's cliche and trite, but that's the way it'll be. Reading uh, some of this stuff yesterday, the one nugget that was hidden in like the twelfth paragraph of one of the stories was that well, the, that's a poorly written story. Then was that the Seahawks take a thirty-nine million dollar cap hit if they trade Russell Wilson? So if you're the Seattle Seahawks, just on talent alone, you should be trying to fix things with Russell Wilson. You should you should be trying to work that out. But when you had a thirty-nine million dollar cap hit on top of that, yeah, you definitely need to work things out with Russell Wilson. So I wouldn't wouldn't be holding my breath for him to move. But you're right. If you have a chance to upgrade with with Watson or Wilson, those two teams really need to try to hold on to those guys. But, uh, you know, the Saints just have to keep their to the ground. There's a, there's a lot of quarterbacks here being signed to one-year deals. Uh, Washington and the Chicago Bears have both, both brought in. Uh, Andy Dalton is moving from Dallas' backup to Chicago to compete for the job there with Nick Foles. And these guys are on one-year deals. It feels a little bit like some NFL teams are expecting, I don't think anything's going to happen now. We're going to make our move. But we're going to be poised next year if there's a, an opportunity to trade for one of these guys. If they don't, uh, if they don't fix things, maybe these guys will be on the market next year. Yeah, but I mean, NFL, everyone's on a one-year deal. Yeah, that's true. I mean, with the uh, with the guaranteed money and all that, uh, it you definitely see you know big money deals getting waived all the time. But there'll be no cap hit when a guy's on a one-year deal. There'll be no cap hit at all. So. Uh, the NFL League year officially begins at 2 o'clock this afternoon, so some of these previously announced deals, the signings, the trades, uh, they'll become official. Uh, also, former BYU star Jamal Williams uh, headed to Detroit. Expect an official announcement out of the Lions. Two years and $7.5 million. There it is. Jamal leaving Green Bay for Detroit, staying in the division. Trent Williams staying with the Niners for six years and $138 million. Highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history, a $30 million signing bonus and $55 million guaranteed. Oh, Anthony Munoz just rolled over and he's still alive. <laughs> Anthony Munoz. Uh, Houston attorney Tom Busby said he's filed a lawsuit against Deshaun Watson, the Texans star quarterback. Put out a statement saying he looks forward to clearing his name. Watson responded to on Twitter to word of the suit saying he rejected a baseless six-figure settlement demand. It's about clearing my name and I look forward to doing that. Busby did not specify the allegations against Watson in his post but referenced behavior with women and later told Fox 26 in Houston that Watson went too far with a woman who was giving him a massage. Watson says he's never treated any woman 
with anything other than the utmost respect. So, that lawsuit will continue on. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Spring ball, Utes, Cougars, LSU, Ed Orgeron. Man, how long do you get to bask in the glory in the SEC, PK? You're 15-0, then the pandemic year didn't go well at all. You weren't a contender, but it was a weird year. And now they got three quarterbacks battling for the starting job. wonder how long Ed well, Orgeron ask, gets to uh, ride it in LSU. Ask Gus Malzahn. Right, what happened with Auburn, right? They had to go out and get Boise State's coach. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. An Illinois appellate court ruled Tuesday a woman struck by a foul ball at Wrigley Field can move ahead with a lawsuit she filed against Major League Baseball. Liza Zuniga was struck in the face by a foul ball during a 2018 game and says she was hit because the stadium had not extended the netting that protects fans from foul balls all the way down the third baseline where she was sitting. We've seen netting extended in in the last few years, PK, and I expect we'll see more of that happening. I agree. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, Patrick Stevens, Washington Post. College sports covers the NCAA tournament. He will help you fill out your brackets and tell us how far he thinks the Cougars and Aggies might proceed. In the case of the Cougars, who they are going to play? Uh, Joe Ingles at about 8.30 and Utah football availability coming up at 9. But, Yak, we don't know who's going to be speaking today. After having the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and four quarterbacks. They would send us an email to let us know who's speaking. We'll be able to tell you who's going to be All right. You two coming up at 9. Joe Ingles at 8.30. DJ and PK, your reaction to the... Coaching change at the U. Larry Kristoviak out. Who will be next? Your reaction coming up. Stay with us. March Madness is here. And now it's time to put that college basketball knowledge to the test. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, where you can compete against the Zone hosts as well as Zone listeners. Oh my goodness! Log on now to 1280zonebracket.com to fill out your bracket for a chance to win a Nordic Track X22i bike. Valued at over $2,000 as well as other great prices. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge. Going on now at 1280zonebracket.com. Presented by the store, SNS Roofing, Bullfrog Spas, and Elite Works. Hot Takes of Toast, brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury hasn't. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Signer Cadillac today. Question today, all sorts of hot takes. Larry Kristoviak, out at the U, who will be the new coach? What are you thinking about the transition? Got Ute fans, got Cougar fans, probably got some Aggies mixed in here. Parker, I really like him, but he just wasn't getting it done on the court. Bittersweet, a change will hopefully be good. A change will do you good. Sing it. A change will do you good. That's Cheryl Crow. Underrated song. A former public school teacher in Missouri, I think she was. But, uh, yeah. Well, I don't have any problem with what he said. I don't know how bittersweet it is. I mean, this is just the nature of the business. I mean, what's bitter about it? 
Tyson, thank God. About three years too late. I miss Utah basketball actually being good, and I hope they make the right hire. Go Utes! Two exclamation points. Uh, I think we should thank God in all things. I've always said that as a religious man. Not formally, but I'm more of a spiritual man, as you know. Three seasons of players leaving, Tony says. There's no confidence in him. Underperforming is the understatement of the year. You can't pay a coach that much and have a declining record year after year. Well, they're not going to. Yep. As a BYU fan, Nick writes, I'm sad to see him go. Sure, I was pissed at him for canceling the rivalry, but I sure enjoyed the mediocre hoops teams he churned out. Cougar fans taking a victory lap. Oh, I can see what they're doing there. Yeah, you want your rival to suck so you can beat them. A guy uh, communicated with me last night. Man, I re- I'm really going to miss him. It's the one sport we had a chance to beat them in. <laughs> <laughs> Greg says, I'm not a running you fan, but I do miss seeing them compete. Too much talent has been wasted under Kristoviak. Uh, yeah, I think you could say there's not enough talent. I was going to say the bigger problem that they didn't get the best recruits or that they didn't keep the guys they had. How many of the guys who transferred would have blossomed had they stayed? Blossomed uh, would have helped the program. Blossomed, you know, what's the definition of that? Uh, I get where you're going, uh, but would what would they have done if they had stayed? Uh, clearly you're better with, uh, you know, Gotch. And I heard somebody say last night, well, Gotch didn't do anything in Minnesota. Yeah, in his next last game against Utah or with Utah, he scored 28 points. Mm-hmm. So uh, clearly he would have been better off staying, and the program would have been better with him. Would it have been substantially better? I don't know. But you just – it was a loss without him. It was a hit. You, you invest somebody uh, two, three years, and then they take off – I mean, that ends up being a wasted time in a sense. You don't get the full benefit of each individual player. Now, that full benefit of each individual player varies by the player, obviously. But still, you want that, and that has not happened. And I think I saw something this morning, actually, when I was going through stuff, that there's already uh, like 150 guys in the transfer portal, and that's for those of the seasons who have already ended Obviously, there's a bunch of teams still playing. So the Devils have lost two guys. They look like they're in complete and total disarray and a lot of speculation that Hurley's out the door. Not that I'm a big basketball fan for the Devils because they've never given me any reason to be a fan, but I'm just pointing out that it's all over the place and certainly that's impacted the Utes. The thing that makes me a little nervous going forward now is, uh, you know, we relate it back to our own circumstances and uh, 1987, when John Cooper left the Devils to go to Ohio State, every coach since has been there four, five, six years and got has been fired. And you're and saying that's where we're going with since Majerus left. Yeah, Larry had the tenure run. It was longer. Uh, it was longer. You're correct. Yeah. But to your point, that is three coaches none of whom have made a real big mark. Now, there have been two Sweet Sixteens out of those three coaches, but there hasn't been the sustained success. You know, the, the NCAA trip is usually followed by several years with no NCAA trip. You know, they, they had a Sweet 16 with yeah. Giacoletti, and then they didn't qualify for three years. And then all the guys Giacoletti brought in internationally their senior year, they got to the tournament for one game under Boylan, and then they didn't qualify for five years. And then they made two, 
And now they've missed for five years. Well, all right, that's like devil's football. Each of those guys who got As fired, they all had a big season. It really is. But they haven't been able to have any to- uh, ability to sustain it. And so that's why it's important. Even if your coach leaves, you want him to leave for another job because that likely means the program's in a good spot, a la Urban Meyer. So I guess the thing with the talent is you do want them to bring in lottery talent, but those guys are often one and dones. There's a lot of lottery picks that really don't have that much success. But if you look at the teams, or that much success in college, but if you look at the teams that have had success in the Pac-12 that you're trying to catch, you know, you'd love to do what Oregon's done. And Oregon's had a lot of guys who are either late first-round picks or second-round picks. And so that's where guys developing. You know, some of them went into the draft early. Bull Bull was there and barely played because he was hurt uh, and still ended up being a second-round pick. And there are other guys like Peyton Pritchard was there forever and ended up being a second-round pick. First-round pick, actually. Or late first. You're right. He was late first. Boston. Uh, um, and so – can you build with those guys? Yes. Guys who play two, yeah. three, four yeah. years, and you win a lot of games, and no, they're not NBA megastars. And it was cool that Majerus had all these high lottery picks, but college basketball and the NBA draft have changed a lot since then. They were changing at that point. It was kind of odd those guys stayed that long. It's definitely changed now. But you can look at Oregon, and they've had, I don't even know, at least a half dozen guys, but maybe seven or eight guys drafted you know, in the last four to five years. And so, yeah, not stars in the league. I, right. I understand. But Dylan they've won a lot of games, and I just wonder yeah. if some of those guys have stayed in the program, could they have turned into that, where you're um, the 48th or 52nd or 31st well, I mean, they the didn't, draft? So they didn't turn into that in other places. They didn't. So I don't know. I, but they could have helped you win games. It's not about whether what type of success they have in the pros. It's what type of success they have at college. And clearly that this idea, one of the things that Mark Pope has said, Chris Burgess has said it too, is that you want to uh, get old and stay old. Well, the Utes have been young and stay young. Yeah, and how's that And work? we had Larry on, uh, what was it, last week? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told him the Majerus quote that used to ring in my ears. Freshmen are just four years removed from being eighth graders. Oh, yeah, well, what the heck, man? You go that and you're going up against juniors and seniors who are approaching being grown men. I mean, you just look at Van Horn, his body from the time he was a freshman until the time he was a senior. He was like 50 pounds, and most of it was muscle. And so, yeah, freshmen, sophomores, it's harder to compete. So the point was well taken, and Larry chuckled when I said that because he's gone through it. It's not, it's not unique to Utah, but it's really hurt the Ute program. And they got to find a way to get past that and keep guys in the program and develop it. The internal development for Utah has basically sucked. And a large portion of that reason is because players take off. Tony uh, on our Facebook page says, Larry just didn't give us the results. He had plenty of time to give. Losing seasons, several player transfers, and underperforming teams in the Pac-12 tournament, NCAA tournament. Time for a change. Agreed. Yep. Uh, Brooks says, as a BYU fan, I'm going to miss Coach Safety. (laughs) Brooks is piling on. Yeah, that was never. a bad decision. Yeah, that that was. And he's never going to get past that with I mean, BYU fans. Was, play the freaking game. It was too much grief. The cost wasn't worth it. It just wasn't. Play the game. And and Chris Hill will tell you about that, too. Uh, just the, the grief that they got over that decision not to play a basketball game was, just, was too much. 
John says hopefully they'll get a good coach that takes them back to the upper level. Good luck from an Aggie fan. That's about as charitable as an Aggie fan is going to be. Might a certain well, coach who's led the Aggies to the uh, top of a certain level. Craig T. Smith, you never know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Aggies don't play Utah anymore, right? Which is ridiculous, but nevertheless. That's Heard about that from an Aggie fan as recently as yesterday. Yeah. Think the new coach will play us? No. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, so. Should they? Absolutely. You got that going, so yeah. it really doesn't matter what Utah does relative to Utah State. As far as Utah's come, program coming back, I think it has a very good chance to come back. I can remember when they first joined the conference, and I'm in Vegas, right? And it's the first conference tournament that I'm down there when they are a member of uh, the Pac-12. And so I was talking to some people. We were, we were in, uh, it was in the room to get your credentials at the MGM before you even go into the arena portion. And so it's just media folk and, and athletic officials in the room. And some guy's telling me, because that's, that's their first season, right? And they only had six wins or whatever it was. And he said to me, oh, man, Utah's going to come back. We, I have no doubt. And I said, well, what makes you so confident? It's because they got a phenomenal fan base. Kids want to go where it matters. And they can put people in the stands and generate interest, unlike a lot of us can do in the conference where we're located, where there's professional teams, mm-hmm. professional football, professional basketball, basketball. so forth and so yeah. on. So he was saying that, yeah, they will come back. I have no doubt that they will come back. We beat him this year. Well, big deal. The long-term prospects of the program here are better than they are at our place. It's a guy who's employed by a Pac-12 team telling me this. I mean, obviously they knew of the history, and he knew that I was – working for the paper at the time, and I was on the front line, so to speak, of that great run that they had. I was there for all those games uh, that Majerus from 93 on, right, right to the end of the, the Final Four, and then he made a couple of tournaments after that. Uh, I was there, and so he knew it. So he said, I'm saying, yeah, that's exactly right. So the fan base is very passionate. It's there, and I think they get the right person in there, and I have confidence that Mark Harlan can do it, that this program could be back Really, you don't necessarily need to win the, the conference. That would be great if you did, but you don't to accomplish your goals. You just need to be in position to get to the tournament. And I think that they can do that. You know, It's going to take a couple of years probably, but I still think that they have an opportunity to have a good future. It's not there right now, but they have an opportunity to get there for sure. I believe that 100%. So right now, that's an interesting definition because Utah State and BYU made coaching changes two and three years ago. Mm-hmm. And they've gone five for five on NCAA bids. You know, with the transfer portal, how quickly can you build something? Now, both those coaches had some talent in the program when they showed up. And so maybe that's the argument that there was, you know, Sam Merrill was in the program at Utah State. You know, Haas was in the program at BYU. So you had some talent. Did you t- are these going to have that much talent when the new coach shows up? I think they have a possibility, but I don't know what's going to happen in, right. the, in the succeeding weeks as far as which guys leave and which guys return. I don't know that. So, yeah, I, I think that. But, but that's just a, you know, a one-shot deal, though. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can get in there possibly this year, but it's not about one season. I'm looking down the line. So, yeah, they can – if everybody comes back – and, you know, I realize that two guys have already put their names in. But if the nucleus all comes back, sure, they can do it. But that, ask Jack Letty, what difference does that make? 
that's right. that's nice in the short term, and that's what you want. Of You'd course. rather have it than not have it, but yeah. the first year success doesn't guarantee anything down the line. Right. Right. But but looking at the other two programs, they're a combined five for five, right? Craig, Craig's been there three years, and they've been attorney team all three years, and BYU's been attorney team both years under Mark Pope. So and that's that's great. That's great to do that. Uh, but you know, you you want to have it uh, eight out of ten or whatnot. There's no reason why you can't. Agreed. Brian says, I like Coach K, but in a program as storied as the Utes, mediocrity just didn't cut it. No. No, it did not. And it is a an outstanding, or has been an outstanding program. You have to say that. You, you just do. And I'm looking at it through the lenses, and we all look at it. That's why I say everyone has biases whatever those biases will be. Well, my biases are being there in the 90s when the place was packed every night. My bias was being on the road in the 90s with all those great U teams and seeing the cities in the, in the WAC just come alive when the Utes were coming to town. It was such a big deal. You walk in to the arenas and the energy, you know, you could feel it because the Utes were there, man. And that's where this program was. And few programs in the West could say that. And I've witnessed it firsthand. It's going to be tough to get back to that level, but they could still get back to a very good level. This is, this is a rich, rich program with a rich history. Clark says it should say a lot that as a BYU fan, I am sad to see him leave. That goes back to what you said about uh, the Cougar fan who said that's the sport we had a chance to beat him in. Yeah, I get that. That's your rival. I mean, that, that's, that's why... Uh, BYU doesn't have a rivalry with Gonzaga. We can get to that in the coming weeks as Gonzaga advances in the tournament. If you're a BYU fan and you're rooting for Gonzaga to win it all, that means it's not your rival because you wouldn't root for the Utes. Look, we're already getting it right now, and they're not even in your friggin' conference. And you, you, you just want Larry to stay because you thought it would just uh, lead to continued mediocrity. And whereas Gonzaga, you want them to win, they're not a rival. Respect them greatly, but they're not a rival. All right, DJ and PK coming up. NCAA tournament expert Patrick Stevens, Washington Post, covers college sports. He will help you fill out your bracket. All the insight you need. Does he think Gonzaga is really going to go undefeated and win it all? How far will the Cougars and the Aggies advance? Who will BYU play in the first game? Plenty of things to run by. Patrick Stevens at 8 o'clock. Joe Ingles is here at 8.30. Stay tuned. Coming up next, more on the Jazz win in Boston. And a guy who had a really good night. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kyle Whittingham, kind enough to join us. What's the one thing that you absolutely have to get out of this spring camp? We have got to start to get the quarterback position settled. And I say get started on it because with Cam not involved, you can't have a definitive uh, answer or conclusion. But we've got to get a great evaluation on the guys that are going to be taking reps and make sure we get those guys situated in the depth chart properly and decide who going into fall is going to you know be that third guy because Cam and, and Charlie are obviously battle for that starting job and so we've got to get those guys behind them situated. Hanson Scotty weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by the store. The store has grab and go meals, hundreds of local products. The store has two locations. Holiday, that's at 6200 South and 2050 East. And then downtown the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake. That's the store. All right, PK, a win for the Jazz uh, in in Boston. 
It felt good. I think it felt a lot better than the Houston win. Certainly felt better than the loss to Golden State. Mm-hmm. So, 2-1 now after the, uh, after the All-Star break, but I think feeling a lot better. It looked more like a jazz game, and we went over this early. Big shots from Donovan Mitchell, who is not shooting the ball well at all, but nonetheless hit two big three-pointers late in the game and had an assist on another one. Mike Conley hit a big three down the stretch. I thought the other guy who just his presence and the attitude, I was really thinking about, you have the story about um, there was one year where they had you do kind of player profiles with players where you went over and you talked to guys for, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, whatever it was, about uh, who they were, how they got here, you know, early influences, what they wanted to do, and not so much, you know, this game, that game, this play, that play, but more big picture about them and their personalities and their careers. And you came back and said, man, this Gobert guy doesn't play a lot, and he's a project and all that, but his attitude just radiates. I mean, he just – and I thought that's what he had. And it wasn't – you look at his stats in the game, and they weren't that outrageous. It wasn't a 20-20 game. You know, he had four blocks, so that's a little more than his average. But I just thought, again, like Donovan, it was the big plays, the momentum-changing plays. Boston had runs, and there were stretches where the Jazz looked bad, you know. But it wasn't the 15-4 to that they had at the start of the Golden— or 15-0, actually, that they had against the start against Golden State. Everything got stopped. It, it might be 8-2, to and you might be groaning about the way the last few possessions have gone watching the game— but then, Robert, then Gobert gets a rebound in traffic or challenges the shot, whether he blocks it or not. I thought the dunk he had in traffic late in the game set a tone. You know, sometimes he goes in there and flicks the ball up and tries to lay it up. Donovan talked about that after the game. He just went right into the traffic and just threw it down. And he's shooting his free throws better early in the year. Mm-hmm. 52%, that is not nearly good enough. They're going to foul you and send you the line. And they've been doing it, but now he's shooting like 68%. And that's not great, but teams don't want to foul you on purpose. I mean, they foul you to take away the dunk. But, yeah, so I think uh, I, I thought he had a good game. Not mm-hmm. that the stat line screamed it, but I could kind of you could feel his presence in the game. Uh, yeah, I agree. Absolutely, man. And it's fun to watch when you see guys like Tice was going down the left side. And you're thinking, okay, go challenge Rudy because I know how this is going to end. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're excited. It's like you get a little yeah. adrenaline. Because you can see it coming. Don't shoot the floater. Don't shoot yeah. the floater. Try to get all the way to the rim. <laughs> you can see the guy's going to challenge him, and you know Rudy's going to win that battle. Either he's going to block the shot, the shot's going to be altered, the shot's going to be missed, and it's fun to anticipate it. And you got That's something that you have to be a hardcore jazz watcher. You know, The jazz fan is the hardcore. I don't put myself in the category of that hardcore jazz fan, but I certainly put myself in the hardcore jazz watcher as we all do on the station, every one of us. And so we see that and you can anticipate it coming. And I swear, if they had a little thing you can put up to my body, you'd feel uh, my adrenaline start to get pumped (laughs) because you know it's coming. You know the shot's going to get blocked. And it's fun to watch that. So, yes, I think that was something, too. The first half turnovers, I tweeted out, the next lazy turnover, bench them. Because I was getting ticked, man. Yeah. And they took care of that. I thought that they got down uh, in the first half, and Joe, coming off the bench, we'll have him supposed to join us in an hour or so, uh, came off the bench, hit two big threes to keep them at arm's length and not let the lead or the deficit mm-hmm. get too big. I thought those were big shots. And obviously that one the Mitchell hit towards the end, I just I love the body language. I love the confidence that he showed. Like, I'm going to make this shot, man. I don't care if I'm one or four for 80. I'm going to make this shot. 
And that thing just looks so smooth, so confident. That's what I look for. I look for it in their eyes, in their mind. And you can see it, man. If you watch enough games, you can see what's out there. And you saw the mindset and all that stuff that you need to be a successful player even when things aren't going your way. And he had that, and that's just big time to me. That's something that I really, really enjoy. And it's across any sport, across either gender. It just doesn't matter. Uh, you can see it. I've seen it in, in women athletes, seen it in Serena Williams a million times over. And you can see it in Donovan Mitchell. I think the thing with uh, with rooting the free throws, we need to keep an eye on. I'm curious how much higher this goes. You know, he certainly wants some individual acclaim to go with the team glory. And the free throw line is one place where those two things come together. They're good for you individually. It's certainly good for the team to not give those points away. You know, the, the guys who we really revere, the big scores, the guys who put up huge numbers, most of those guys... They make sure they don't leave points at the free throw line. I mean, for all the logo shots that Steph Curry and Damian Lillard hit, and those are exciting, those are the highlights, those guys are shooting 93% at the free throw line. Now, I don't think Rudy's getting to 93%, but he's got that number up from the low 50s to the high 60s, and the higher he pushes it, the more his scoring average is going to go up, and the better shape the Jazz are going to be in. You never want to leave those points at the line. Well, the so. free throws look better. Even they do. Even they miss, they look better. <laughs> You're right, yeah. All right, DJ and PK, uh, filling out your March Madness bracket. You can go on to uh, uh, our website. You hear the promos running. You can get the get the bracket and uh, go to town on that. Patrick Stevens is going to join us, Washington Post. He'll help you fill out your bracket, NCAA tournament expertise, questions about the Aggies and the Cougars, how far the Pac-12 will advance. Will Gonzaga win it all? We'll talk with Patrick next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision has given you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Patrick Stevens. He writes for the Washington Post. He covers college sports. The NCAA tournament. March Madness is upon us. You have brackets to fill out. And Patrick is here with sage advice. Patrick, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How are you? Good. I've loved March Madness since I was a kid. I have filled out brackets since I was probably in junior high. But there is so much basketball on TV. We got to watch the NBA. We got to watch the Jazz. But we got to watch the other top teams in the West. And we got BYU, Utah, and Utah State to watch. I can't possibly follow these other conferences in the detail you need to know what you're talking about when it comes time to fill out a bracket. There aren't enough hours in the day. Are there enough hours in the day to you for you to follow how many college teams and conferences? <laughs> there, there, there are enough. Uh, thankfully, uh, thankfully, being being stuck at home here for the last year or so has kind of allowed me to alter my schedule a little bit. And I'll tell you what, I watched a ton of Mountain West basketball this season because the way the schedule worked out, I feel like one of those four good teams, whether it was San Diego State, Utah State. Colorado State uh, or uh, or Boise State was on TV seemingly every night, so plenty familiar uh, with those teams in particular, and, and obviously seen a lot of other uh, throughout the throughout this past season. All right, I think that Kata is an NBA player, and they've got a nice collection of role players for the Aggies uh, as far as that goes. And Craig Smith is a dynamic coach, but with that in mind, what do you think about them being able to win a game? Because it's been a while. It has been a while, and, and you know, I, I, I look at that matchup, and Texas Tech is, is one of those teams that is, 
It's been up and down uh, for sure. Like it seems like they they can never if they get one, they're going to get two or three probably. Uh, but it's just as possible that they they get bounced in the first round. Uh, you know, Mac McClung, the Georgetown transfer, uh, is kind of a dynamite presence for them. Uh, and as for Utah State, like you say, Kate has uh, had a great season, and they play fantastic defense. I mean, this game, frankly, has the potential to be one of those 58-57, uh, grinded-out, low-possession type games. I think it's really one of the, one of the true toss-ups in the first round. Uh, but it would not surprise me at all uh, if the Aggies are able to pull that one off and, and make it out of the first round for the first time since 2001. So interesting about Texas Tech being up and down because this is the kind of thing that I I just can't tell you. I haven't seen enough. The Big 12 and the Big 10, you know, their fan bases can argue about who's the best conference, but both those conferences are pretty deep, and they better be if these teams are going anywhere. Texas Tech tied for sixth in their league. Michigan State's ninth in their league. Now, are they down there because they are up and down, or are those leagues legitimate, re- legitimately really deep? And these teams are tested every night, and there are no off games for these teams. Well, I, I think it's, it, it's a stretch to say there's no off games in the Big 12 or the Big 10. In the, in the Big 12, you've got an Iowa State team that went 2-21 and 21 and went 0 for the league. You've got Kansas State which I think won four conference games and struggled. Uh, and you look at a team like a, like a Texas Tech that went 9-8 and eight in the conference while it swept Iowa State and it swept Kansas State, and there you go. We've just accounted for almost half of those conference victories. So, uh, you know, I think some of the teams at the top of the Big 12 are, are really exceptional. Baylor, uh, Kansas played well down the stretch, Oklahoma State, uh, and Texas for sure, and West Virginia. A better version, I think, of Texas Tech being up and down. Over in the Big Ten, I think in the Michigan State case, it's, it's kind of a, a situation where they just weren't very good for a month or so, and, the, and their offense wasn't right at all. Uh, you look back at February 2nd, they were 8-7. and They've had a pause of a couple weeks, uh, and since then they've played exceptionally well. So, yeah, they're, what, 9-11 and or so in the league, uh, but they were 2-7 and at one point, and since then they've beaten Illinois and Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, and they're a much better team, I think, right now, than they are in aggregate for the season. Uh, I'll also say that those top four or five teams in the Big Ten are really, really strong, uh, and we'll all have a chance to make multi-round runs here uh, in the in the weeks to come. So with that being said about the Spartans, then I assume you've got them advancing in the what we call as the play-in game traditionally and playing BYU. Yeah, I, I like Michigan State a lot more than I do a UCLA team that is has sputtered down the stretch. I think it's four losses in a row for them. Uh, and not to bad teams, all four teams that are uh, in the tournament, uh, Colorado, Oregon, USC, and Oregon State, but, but they're a team that just hasn't really accomplished a whole lot. When you look at their, their overall set of accomplishments, they beat Colorado at home, they swept Arizona, and there's not a whole lot else there. They're, they're really a, 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 a team that's hard to figure I think Michigan State gets through uh, and then starts to put the Tom Izzo rule to the test. You look back at Izzo's record at, at the, in the second game at a site in the NCAA tournament. You might get two of those here this weekend, potentially. Uh, that's, that's going to be a tough haul for the Cougars, but I do ha- happen to think that BYU, especially given how well it played in that first half against Gonzaga and how it largely avoided any sort of missteps throughout the season, uh, that, that that's a team I think is going to be a really tough out as well. I think a BYU Michigan State game would be one of the best second round or best 
I guess that's technically first round, uh, but would be one of, along with that Utah State Texas Tech matchup, would be one of the better games. You guys are kind of lucky out there having having a couple of those really high end matchups in the first round. Patrick Stevens joining us. He writes for the Washington Post. He is paid to watch college basketball. Good gig. So I'm curious, when you're watching all the late-night games from the Mountain West, I assume you watch a lot of late-night Pac-12, and they got five teams in, which is good, certainly better than they've done in some previous years, but how many of those can get to the Sweet 16? None of them are seeded to get there. UCLA and Oregon State, I don't think anyone expects to see them in the Sweet 16, but the other three teams, you know, if you're in that you know, five, six, seven range, you might make it. Are you penciling anybody in to get there? Yeah, I, I think if there's somebody that I like to be able to, to do some damage, it might be Colorado um, out of the whole bunch, although a potential second-round game against Florida State's a little scary. Uh, the Seminoles basically have a – it feels like they have a, a, a roulette wheel that they spin every game. And which of these 13 or 14 players is going to pop up and score 14 points in a game? Uh, you really don't know with them uh, – I, I do think it could be a, a first weekend wipeout for the Pac-12. Like you say, Oregon State's 12 seed. Don't think uh, too much of UCLA. USC's the wild card. I mean, you look at them, they've, they've definitely got one of those teams that, that looks great. It's one of those airport, all airport teams. Looks fantastic. And Evan Mobley is going to be you know, one of the top five or so picks in the NBA draft in all likelihood. Uh, but that's another team that's inconsistent. And it's very possible that they get bounced by Wichita State or Drake, let alone Kansas the next time out. You know, I think the best team in that league is probably Oregon. They won the regular season. Uh, but having a, a matchup with Iowa potentially in the second round is a, is a tough, tough draw for the Ducks. Gonzaga obviously undefeated. How much of a burden do you think that carries? Because it's like with them – Unless they win it all, even though they've been a really just a phenomenal program for so many years, it's like, yeah, well, see, I told you, they play in a lousy conference. They're really not that good. I don't know if it's so much a burden. I think the interesting thing, and we saw this in the WCC final, is it's not like they've been tested here for the last few months. You know, how do they react to suddenly being in trouble? And they reacted pretty well to BYU. They basically found their defense there in the second half of that game. I think, you know, the interesting element of their bracket. So, you know, you have Virginia, Iowa, Kansas as the other three teams in the top four seeds. And Gonzaga's already beaten all those teams. So does that make them feel better about their draw? Or is it a situation where those teams, and they could, they could run into as many as two of them, are those teams going to feel like they know what's coming? Even if it's not something that you can deal with very easily, at least you have an idea what's coming. Uh, you know, to me, I, I do think Gonzaga is, you know, one of the top two or three clear-cut teams in the field. If you're sitting there saying, are you going to take X number of teams in the field? I mean, the question kind of is Gonzaga and Illinois and maybe Baylor versus the field. But I, I think with three guys that are, you know, popping up on All-America teams in Kispert and Timmy uh, and, and, uh, and Suggs with fantastic freshmen, uh, it, it is going to be a disappointment for sure if this team is not standing at least – going into the Final Four, uh, and I, I think pretty clearly the expectations in Spokane are to, are to snip the nets on the final night of the season. So, filling out your bracket, not one of your ten brackets, your bracket of integrity, your most important See, bracket. I don't, I don't fill out brackets. I found that it's better, to, better for me not to do that uh, in terms of being able to enjoy the tournament and cover it more effectively. Okay. But if you want some advice, I'm happy to give some. And that's exactly what I think our listeners want. Who should they put in their final four? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think I would go with Gonzaga out of the West. I think that's 
that's the team to beat there. Uh, you know, the, the the South is kind of a tricky bracket for me because I could see that thing getting blown up in any number of ways. Um, you know, I think Baylor could have problems, for example, with North Carolina in the second round. I think Arkansas uh, might have the clearest path uh, and, and then produce kind of an interesting team, too. Uh, so if you put me on the spot, I'll, I'll give you Arkansas there, but I don't feel great about that regional at all. Uh, in the Midwest, I'll go ahead and give you Illinois. I think it's a possible Illinois-Oklahoma State Sweet 16 game. The Brad Underwood Bowl would be fantastic. Uh, and then in the East, you know, I think Michigan without Isaiah Livers is going to be vulnerable throughout. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a bracket that they could get blown up in any way possible. I'll, I'll take Florida State there just because I look at Michigan, I look at Texas, I look at Alabama. Those are all teams that have very high, you know, there's a very high risk-reward element to them. Uh, a team that could create some problems in that bracket in particular is the seventh seed, Connecticut with James Booknight. They've just been a different team since he's gotten back and healthy. Uh, and he's, he could be the latest guard that carries UConn deep, deep into the tournament. Have you heard any rumblings about all these coaching vacancies who might be interested? No, no, I'm not, I'm not much into the rumor mill. Sorry. Still clear of that, huh? <laughs> So if uh, if you're looking, and, and maybe UConn is that team, if you're looking for the team that isn't seated that well, that can make deep run into the tournament, who are you looking at? Well, again, let's go region by region here. I think in the West, UC Santa Barbara is, it has been gifted kind of a spot that, that is favorable. They get a Creighton team and a little bit of turmoil in the 5-12 game. Uh, you don't know whether Virginia is actually going to, you know, make it to the to the start starting line uh, right now. But Santa Barbara, uh, with Jacory McLaughlin, the Big West Player of the Year, uh, has lost only once since New Year's Day. A, a team is not hard to like. Um, you know, Winthrop, the 12 seed in the South, has only lost once. Chandler Vaudrin has three triple doubles. They draw Villanova, who's down at starting point guard in Colin Gillespie. I think they can win at least one game and, and maybe multiple games in that south bracket. Uh, in the Midwest, I think Syracuse, having slipped in, is really dangerous. They've been playing well. I mean, on paper, they're profiled. I don't think that they should have avoided a play-in game. I didn't even have them in, but I can understand the appeal to them. But subjectively, you know, they beat Clemson, they beat Carolina, uh, and they nearly beat Virginia all since the start of the month. And the last time that they barely avoided a play-in game was 2016. Uh, and they, with, a, with an assist from Middle Tennessee knocking off Michigan State, they ran all the way to the Final Four. Uh, and then in the East, if you want a team uh, that has a chance to, to do a little bit of damage, you know, it could be that Michigan State team if, if they can catch fire. I don't know if they, if they can achieve the consistency necessary uh, to pull that off. Uh, another team that I like, I don't know if they can beat Michigan in the second-round game, uh, but St. Bonaventure is really well-coached, the Atlantic 10 champions. Uh, Kyle Lawson, the point guard, Oshuna Shuni, uh, the big man in the middle, uh, and Mark Schmidt, uh, really one of the underrated uh, sideline guys in the country. I, I think they have a chance uh, to, to really make a little bit of noise, uh, but they're probably going to have to take advantage of Isaiah Liver's absence from Michigan to make that happen. Patrick, I'll be honest, after you said UC Santa Barbara, I kind of blanked out. I am a gaucho, and we have one NCAA tournament win all time. I'll take two. I think you're gonna. Ha- I think come what is it Saturday? You're gonna have a second one to celebrate. Patrick Stevens, the Washington Post college sports guy. May he be right about the Gauchos. Thank you, Patrick. 
Thanks so much for having me, fellas. All right, Patrick Stevens, you can read him in the Washington Post. There it is, PK. Put the gauchos in your bracket. Make it happen. To you, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Grand Canyon, 15 seed. It could happen. If it does, I'll be happy for you. I have no interest in that, personally. <laughs> you can't even fake it for radio? Come on, PK. <laughs> it would be cool for the program, for sure. But uh, I don't. <laughs> You're not living and dying with the Grand Canyon that I, that basketball. I take personal uh, satisfaction with in that regard. I've been in this business too long, but it certainly would be cool. I mean, the, they. Well, we love 15s beating twos, no matter who they are. That's always that's always exciting. It's a game you got to flip on if you see it's close. I think for Grand Canyon, though, uh, the the bigger story is they want more. They mm-hmm. want to get in the West Coast Conference. Yeah, right. You know, it's a religious based uh, conference, obviously. Uh, I think Pacific is not, but Pacific was established by the Methodists, if I remember correctly, whatever. But anyway, I think they would love to join the conference. And, uh, you know, they don't feel the football program, obviously. And actually, when you think about it, it would be a decent fit. And if I'm the West Coast Conference, I seriously consider it because their basketball program is improving. Uh, They got Drew there to coach the team. And. have that Phoenix market, yeah, smack dab the, in the in the the two I've read the about are Grand City, yeah. yeah Grand Canyon and Seattle, and there's good high school basketball players in, in both of those areas, so uh, that makes sense. I don't know if they want to go to twelve, thing, but but to, to get to go down there and have that opportunity, uh, they would, in my mind, they would automatically be in the top half of the conference because they care. It matters. And that ought to get them over a lot of teams really yeah. quickly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not just something that we have because we have it. It's They have it and they want to win. They want to win at the highest level, and this is their first opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament. So that's a big story there. I saw a thing that uh, they listed uh, the top coaches, all the all well, all the coaches in the tournament, so 68, where they ranked, they ranked them according to their playing ability. <laughs> and Drew, who uh, you know, hit that one that that shot what was it against Mississippi State? That you know, they had the kid you throw the ball, and then the kid yeah. just deflected it to Drew coming running down the right side. He hits that shot at the buzzer. So does a swan dive, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he was in the top five because he did play a little bit in the NBA. I think they had Mark Pope at four. And then, of course, they have Patrick Ewing, number one, because he's a Hall of Fame player. And I don't think that there's any other player or a coach who was a Hall of Fame player. Uh, so Craig Smith didn't get a good run. He was way up in the 60s. I don't think he had a very uh, distinguished playing career, but so far he's had a distinguished coaching, coaching career. career. All right, we're yeah. going to take a break. When we come back, the Joe Ingles Show and Morgan Scally talking to the media for the youth. You'll hear him. Utah defensive coordinator coming up at 9 o'clock. Joe Ingles coming up next. Stay with us. March Madness is here. And now it's time to put that college basketball knowledge to the test. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, where you can compete against the Zone hosts as well as Zone listeners. Oh, my goodness! Log on now to 1280zonebracket.com to fill out your bracket for a chance to win a Nordic Track X22i bike. Valued at over $2,000 as well as other great prizes. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge. Going on now at 1280zonebracket.com. 
Bullfrog.com. Presented by The Store, SNS Roofing, Bullfrog Spas, and Elite Works. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe, and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Joe Ingle Show with DJ and PK is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union. It's the longest-serving credit union in Utah. Cypress Credit Union is here to help. With all your financial needs, Cypress Credit Union, your future is our future. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles to his own show. Joe, good morning. Hi. Good morning. (laughs) Trapped in your hotel room, first in Boston, Boston, now in Washington, unable to walk around some of those walkable cities. You sound a little depressed, Joe. Yeah, it's not a... It's not as fun as it used to be. We had to go out and eat and do it, like you said. I mean, we can. I think we're allowed to go for a little quick stroll out, sneak out, and get out and for for a quick walk. But yeah, not much. Uh, not much going on. A lot of testing and a lot of sitting in the room. You have that cross country flight the other day. Uh, when Terrible. you guys are. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask you, what do you do on in that situation? Because you're cooped up in the hotel, and now you're cooped up in a plane for a. That's probably the longest trip you've you've been on as an NBA player. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was like five and a half or something like that. Five forty yeah. or something. End up taking. Um, we could have just kept going the other way and going to Melbourne. It would have been uh, <laughs> back home. Would have been able to see see some family. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, everyone does different stuff. Guys are obviously watching movies and stuff. We play cards for a little bit, but um, had a sleep. It was like it was one of those. It was like flying to Australia. Where you can do like twenty different things, and you look at the time, and you still got two hours left. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was obviously a bit of a, a kind of weird scheduling. Um, obviously, it had to be done for whatever reason, and you just make it work. So I think the decision to f- we could have obviously flown after the game, but we would have got in at a ridiculous hour. So we stayed the night and flew the next day. And, um, yeah, ended up obviously kind of working out all right. I think guys felt decent. Um, I don't think everyone, anyone felt great after getting off the flight and doing all that. And we got in really late. Um, well, not really late, but, but late in terms of leaving the hotel at nine or something and getting in at six. So it was a full day of travel, and um, to come out and play well yesterday was, was good after that. So uh, I'm curious, as a guy who grew up with grandparents who didn't have TV, didn't have video, uh, they played a lot of cards, and as a kid I played about 100,000 different card games. Cribbage, rummy, gin, gin rummy, uh, hearts, spades, I mean, go on forever. What What is the card game of choice? Uh, it's actually called Bure. It's a kind of version of spades. Um, I don't exactly know the difference because I'd never played spades. I only got, I got introduced to Bure as a, as a well, not young guy, as a NBA player. Um, so, yeah, everyone says, to, like anyone that you try and teach the game to, 
everybody says, oh, it's like spades, which I've never played spades, but I guess it's like that. So, um, more honestly, more of a time waste than anything else. I think for a lot of us, you like I've I've sat and played cards for for a long time now at the table, and some of honestly, like some of the best conversations and stories and stuff like that I've ever heard has been sitting at that table. So, um, we we honestly play for for fun. I've sat there and like Joe Johnson telling crazy funny stories. Like anyone. Anyone that's kind of—it's obviously on on our plane. There's, I think, there's two tables where four guys can sit around. So just to sit, honestly sit with the guys and and talk and laugh, and it, it makes the five and a half hours go a lot quicker. So um, yeah, it's fun. I don't want to make a big deal about one game and say, "Oh my gosh, uh, the Celtic game was a must-win," but I think it was important to win. How do you feel about that when you go into that game where you lost the game, you didn't play well and all that stuff? Do you, th- do you think of that mindset or do you just take it as another game along the schedule? Yeah, I mean, I don't think at this point it's, it wasn't like we were, we were down uh, 3-1 or whatever. Like it wasn't yeah. a must win. We didn't, uh, if we'd lost, we weren't knocked out of the NBA. Um, but in terms, like you said, like it's important and obviously we wanted to get back on the right track and, um, we hadn't played well um, for for those kind of first two games. Even the the first game out of break um, against Houston, we obviously won the game, but we gave up a, a twenty or whatever point lead. But um, played well in stretches, I guess there. But obviously to give up that lead, and then Golden State was probably more bad than good. So obviously coming into this one, and and obviously like Boston's a, a really good team too. So I think. Just making sure, um, and that's where I think the the long flight and the long day and all that can or could easily be a distraction. And oh well, we we did have a a long day of travel, a full kind of full day of travel. It's it's easy to chalk it up as a, a bit too like kind of a little bit too hard and, and move on to the next one. But I think everyone, obviously, the way we played those first two games, we we wanted to kind of flick the switch a little bit and, and, and just get rolling a little bit. I, I think, I don't think we played, I think we shot 43s. I don't know if we'd shot 40 in those first two. Um, if we did, it didn't feel like we did. I think we played a lot more like ourselves yesterday um, on both ends of the floor, defensively and, and offensively. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was good to, like I said, kind of flick that switch on how we had played those first couple games and and again, get a good win against a, a really good team who's who's playing a lot better than kind of what they were at different times this year. So in the time I've been here, a lot of jazz players have come and gone, and you forget a lot of stuff, but there's usually a snapshot or two for each player you kind of remember. And I think when that time comes to you, what I'm going to remember is you <laughs> hitting a three in front of the opposing bench and more often than not, turning over your shoulder and telling them something as you head back down court. You did it again against the Celtics, and I'm wondering, when you do that most of the time, is it just for the sheer joy of talking trash to the bench? Is it because you know somebody on the bench and you need to specifically talk to them? Or they've been yapping at you and we just don't know it, and you're getting in the second word because they fired the first shot. What was it against Boston, and what is it usually? Uh, usually it's A, B, or C. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, I don't mind 
last night, um, one of the young guys there was, I think it was one of the ones, Donovan or whoever threw it to me through a high and I just shot it from where it was and they yelled something out and I just turned and gave him a little wink. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's honestly, obviously if there's a guy I know, I'm more than happy to say something to him. Um, obviously it was a lot more fun when the bench was a bit kind of like closer and mm-hmm. the normal, um, seating arrangement because there was everybody was right there um when now you just get a couple of them right there so um yeah honestly it, I just whatever I, I, I think a lot of the time you I mean if you're in that corner in front of the bench you, uh, and it, 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 I guess it's the same on the other side when the crowd is normally there and there's courtside seats and they're literally like one large step away from you <laughs> um as they see the ball coming or whatever it is. And obviously having a shot that looks a little funny and awkward probably doesn't help too. Um, but it's more of like a, you go going to catch the ball and they're yelling something to try and distract you or whatever. So just got to let them know that I don't get distracted by these people. <laughs> they don't bother me. <laughs> it's fun though. So you also had something to say to the referee uh, during the game. I thought you got fouled. It's kind of foul. They sometimes call. Don't, I don't do that every game. You do, but this was a little different. And I know that uh, you know you're a vet now, and you've got a little bit of a rep, and you see them, and they see you because it's not that big a league, right? And so I'm wondering how much of it is just the emotion of the moment. You just say whatever, and how calculating do you have to be when you talk to ref? So A, you don't get a T. B, you don't get another bad call a couple possessions later because the guy's uh, mad at you. And C, possibly you even get the good call a couple possessions later because now he realizes what you saw and he's looking for it. How do you play that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think it's different. Obviously, Golden State, I, got, I think I got probably over-frustrated at um, the non-call or whatever it was, and I obviously got teed up that game. Um, and I don't enjoy getting teed up. I think sometimes sometimes it can kind of, I guess, make a point or um, kind of fire your team up a little bit at the right time. And obviously, you know, you're giving up a free throw for it, but if it's the right time and, and all that, I think sometimes it can be effective. Um, I can't remember what I was talking about last night, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, there was one position I remember walking out there a couple of times and asking them a question because it was, we thought Boyan was getting held, like he was holding his, or he was holding his jersey. And I was just trying to explain, like if, I think sometimes, and this isn't even on them or anything really, but just realizing that like a pull of a jersey can make more of a difference than they might think. Um like if he doesn't hold Boyan's jersey, he comes off a pin down and he's probably wide open to shoot it. He grabs his jersey and pulls up Boyan, kind of turns and looks at him or tries to push his hand off and it kind of like junks up that whole possession. Um, I remember talking to him about that one time. Like it, it might look like nothing, but it, it affects it more than I think they they think or like even the the players think. Like it's because if Boyan doesn't turn and look and try and like hit his hand off or or whatever, then Maybe he comes off and he's wide open. Um, obviously, with Rudy and Fave screening, it's probably more of a chance he is wide open too. So, um, yeah, just uh, obviously I'm going to stick up and support my teammates in every situation that I think is necessary, but there is a fine line, I guess, too. I don't want to 
uh, you don't want to be in their ear the whole game because they do. Sometimes they do. Like Zach, who teed me up the other night, was like, just stop. Like, And I was like, well, it's not about just like stopping or talking or not talking. It's like, I thought you missed the call. And I thought it was an obvious one. Like, And then the same thing happened down the other end. Like, And you caught, like, it's just a, so you got to be, you got to be smart with it. I've had, I've had a, a few, uh, a few ones that I've obviously gone too far, and and sometimes I just try and stay away. There's been games where I'm like, all right, I'm not talking the rest of the quarter. Like, I'm just not, <laughs> just going to mind my own business and see what happens. How much at all do you guys pay attention to the standings now? Uh, I mean, I couldn't care less, to be honest. Um, no, I mean. Uh, I know we're up there somewhere. I'm assuming we're still first after the break, but I could be wrong. You are. Um, no, you're right. Oh, we are. Um, I live and die by him. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to live a sad, miserable life if you live and die by the standings. Thank um, you. <laughs> no, I think just, I mean, obviously we, we there was enough talk. Like, you, you hear it, you see it. Um, I don't jump on my phone when I get up each morning to check the standings and, and all that but um, at the end of the day like I said have said before it's first second fifth like whatever it is obviously you want you want to be I'm not saying we don't want to finish the highest possible win as many games as possible but we want to be playing our best basketball at the end of the year so um, yeah if that's the case and we're top or we're third or whatever it is and we are, it, it kind of is what it is but um, yeah it's not a we don't come in just saying that we want to finish. Like it, it'd be nice to finish top, but there's a, a lot more of a process of what goes on than just trying to finish top. So March Madness is a big deal here. College basketball is a di- big deal for you and for Rudy and for Bojan. You know, if you're a foreign guy, you don't have a you don't have a dog in the fight. But I'm thinking on these uh, plane trips, and you're on the road with nothing to do. That some of these guys who do have schools. I mean, Donovan's got to be quiet because Louisville's not in. Uh, but some of these guys probably have a lot to say about March Madness. Is there a lot about that uh, going back and forth on the team or no? Uh, there hasn't been too much yet, but I'm sure it'll heat up once, uh, kind of once it gets going. Um, I'm on the Baylor Bears this year. Um, <laughs> is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah, 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 you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it. Well, Roy, I assume this is Royce, right? Royce got you going? He's a Baylor guy? Lindsay? Well, yeah, Dennis? There's a way bigger backstory. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. One, that's the one reason I didn't want to support them because of Dennis. I didn't want to um, I wanted to be able to go against like so I could argue with Dennis about something and but I Baylor was actually one of the schools and probably if not one of the closest schools if I went to college I was going to go to. Um, Scott Drew who is still the coach now was recruiting me. Um whatever it was back in 1972 when I was a young fella. Um, <laughs> I actually would have been there with Epe if I decided to go, which would have been kind of cool. Um, but it, yeah, it didn't, didn't obviously go, but um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't, St. Mary, I don't think St. Mary's are in this year. Um, no. I'd be surprised. I don't actually follow <laughs> enough of it to know or not. I, I know they used to because they had a bunch of good Australians, but since they lost yeah. the good Australians, I'd be surprised um so yeah i'm just i was like screw it i'll just be on the Baylor bears this year so i'm on royce's team this year so how close were you to actually going to college in the u.s 
uh, about as close as you are to playing a game in the NBA. You know, once on the jazz floor, I did play in a charity game, and I hit a 17-footer, though. You got two points in your career. Yeah. That might get yeah. you a... And Thurl uh, was there. Two, I think DJ was there, too. A, he can verify it. It's a fact. You nailed it, it down. He, he just, you could probably get it. It was sweet. It was pure. <laughs> probably. Um, <laughs> no. Not, Ten second? Not, not too close. Um Obviously, it was when we, in Australia, when we were at the AAS and there's about 15 of us deciding what we want to do and you can go college or pro. And I think I was the only one out of our whole group. Um, and I'm talking like kind of Aaron Baines, Paddy Mills, all those guys were there with me. They all went to college. Um, I did listen to a few of the teams. There's only a few teams that I really listened to. It was St. Mary's, Baylor, um, a couple other ones, but... Um, yeah, I just didn't, uh, I don't know, I just didn't want to do the educational part of it, which if I knew what I knew now, I probably would have gone because there isn't much educational part of it. Um, <laughs> but no, I just, yeah, I sat and listened to them and figured out, uh, I guess, what I needed to do schooling-wise. I probably would have had to do a few extra classes and then um, obviously sit that test or whatever you have to sit to to get in and yeah. I just had no interest so I was like I'm just going to go pro and uh, didn't uh, didn't look back at all I, I, I loved my my journey so it would have been cool to I guess go and spend a year or something and just experience it to have the experience but um, I wouldn't change it for, for anything so I'm curious if St. Patrick's Day is a thing in Australia or not so much. Absolutely. You get to drink beer. Anything that you get to drink beer in Australia is a thing. Mate. There it Fosters. is. Fosters. Yeah, not Fosters, but anything else. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, um, yeah, it's pretty popular. I mean, it's. I'm saying this coming from a guy who hasn't lived in Australia since I was 12 years ago. Um, but no, it's always a. Most Australians will find any excuse to be able to go and have a beer and watch them. Uh, the AFL starts, I think, this week, this weekend. So everyone will be able to go to the pub and watch the AFL and have a beer and be very sensible. Are they going to uh, have fans at the AFL this year? How's that progressing? Or are they going to be more like NBA games? Yeah, I haven't. Um, I was actually I was actually thinking about that the other day. Um, we are basically completely open in Australia and have been for a while. There's been a couple mini kind of lockdowns, but it's it's funny. I I laugh a little bit about it because they were talking like on the news. I think it was a few weeks ago, we're down to like X number of of cases or whatever, three or 400, whatever it was. And obviously that's good from where we were in the thousands um, a little while ago, but still, that's still a decent number. Um, and I think it was about two weeks ago now, a week or two ago, <laughs> Melbourne, I think it was Melbourne had one case and they shut the borders to Melbourne for like three days to like, um, what do you call it? Like slow the slow the spread or whatever. One one person, and mm. they shut the borders. So they they obviously they take it 
which I, I mean, honestly, I think that's probably a little extreme. Like they they take it that serious. I, I feel like that's. I could see if you have a flight come in and there's like a hundred people or eighty people on the flight, and, and they're all going landing and going to their respective places from there. It's a little bit different, but they had like it was like one or two cases, and they shut down the the city for a few days. So uh, we we take it serious and. Um, which is obviously why on the flip side, New Zealand as well. I think New Zealand was probably the best at how they handled it. But, um, yeah, we're, we're completely open. I see my friends at restaurants and bars and sporting events. So I don't know what our AFL stadiums, in the two in Melbourne, one holds 100,000, the other one holds like 60,000. Um, so usually they're not, they're not sold out, but they're usually on a like a regular weekend kind of probably 70% filled depending on who's playing. Um, so you're talking like 60, 70,000 people um, going to the game. So I don't know what the numbers are, if they are having kind of no restrictions on it or if they will limit it just to be safe. But I mean, off the, I mean, without reading anything, I would say it'd be pretty open. Um, the NBL, the basketballs had crowds Um so, yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see. Hopefully, for their sake, for the players' sake, they, they have some fans there. Well, Joe, as always, we appreciate it. Hope we brightened up your day sitting in a hotel room for, you know, 20 you minutes. Did. Jazz you fans did. hanging on your every word. It was, the, it was the greatest thing on the trip so far. Yeah, well, that is a sad trip then. You're <laughs> right. Sorry about that. Maybe a little bourree on the plane. That'll, that'll spark Maybe. things. Yeah. When do we fly? No, we got a game first. Yep, you do. We play, yeah, yeah. I got to play a game before. Play yeah, and then you're gonna go to Tampa Bay for the first time. You haven't been to Tampa Bay for the NBA, for the. Uh, for I the have NBA. literally no idea where that is. <laughs> it's close to Orlando, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it'll be cool. I don't know. Yeah. Is it? Is it cool? It's. Uh, yeah. I've never been there, but uh, yeah, it looks good. There's a lot of water. It's Florida. There's the ocean. The temperatures ought to be nice for the you know 12 minutes you're allowed outdoors. So my hotel will be nice. There you go. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joe. No worries. Thanks for having me. Joe Ingles Show right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And it is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union, where your future is our future. Coming up, Utah football. Day two of availability for spring football. Morgan Scally, defensive coordinator, speaking today. We'll hear from him coming up in about 15 minutes, you fans, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Minnesota parted ways with Richard Patino, And lo and behold, one of a few candidates that have been mentioned is Craig Smith yes, from indeed. Utah State. If I'm an Aggie fan, I'm frustrated by that news. This is one of the pratfalls of having a situation where you can be used as a stepping stone. Here's why you can't blame the coach, though. The security is just so flimsy. You'd almost be foolish not to strike while the iron's hot because there's no guarantee that it's going to be hot tomorrow. You take a job at another school, you guarantee yourself two to three years to turn it around. If it doesn't happen, he takes his guaranteed money and splits. But he's still got another two to three years. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. 
Well, PK, we had Patrick Stevens on St. Patrick's Day. You are Patrick Kinahan. We are loaded with Patrick's. St. Patty's Day is a thing in Australia, as Joe tells us, and it's also a thing on our Facebook page at DJ and PK. <laughs> when it comes to sports, what are you green with envy over? And I thought about this before I looked at the responses. And you got to click on the comments. So I have a moment. And I thought of some stuff, and then I clicked on it, and I saw way better responses than anything I came up with. And I just want to give a public shout-out to Joe Walker. Joe, you're the man. He had a good one that didn't even cross my mind. What? When it comes to sports, what are you green with envy over? And Joe says, teams in Power 5 conferences that don't deserve to be there. Nice, Joe. Good call. I like it. Yeah, I mean, what is the level of deserve, deservement? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that question since I don't know what it was. I think you're saying who deserves to be kicked out and who deserves to get in. Deservement. <laughs> no, I yeah, I mean, well, and there are things I would that? like to see happen. Well, everybody judges for themselves basically by turning on the TV, looking at a team and going, you suck. Why okay, are you in a Power uh, 5 conference? That's my point. Are you just going football? <laughs> yes, so football. Well, because the thing is, as someone who roots for, and went to a school like UC Santa Barbara, you can get in the NCAA tournament in every sport. And so if you're good enough, you can win. Now, the odds of being Gonzaga aren't very good, but Gonzaga is Gonzaga. It can be done. So even if there's some resentment there, but in football, literally, no matter what you do, you can go undefeated. Eh, you're not worth it. You can't be in the playoff. Like, we beat everybody. And we can't have your payday, and we can't have your schedule, and we can't be in the championship. It, it's frustrating. Oh, well, now, when, when the Aztecs suck and they're losing Cal Poly San Luis Obispo back-to-back years, and you and Scotty G are piling on me, I mean, yeah, the Aztecs don't deserve anything, so you don't feel it. But when I'm sitting there watching Central Florida rip off an undefeated season, I'm thinking, come on, let them, let them play somebody. Let's see how good they are. No. It sucks. And it, meanwhile, Arizona, their spot gets held. I don't know when they'll get good, but they were in a Fiesta Bowl, and they have been in a Pac-12 title well, game, and, 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 and their and spot the, gets held for the 10 Central or— Central Florida was what, in the Sugar Bowl? Yeah. Their oh, spot okay. gets held for the 10 or 20 years, and they have hope that one day—who well, knows? It may be yeah, like and, the Cubs. It may be 100-plus years. And I had hope I was going to play in the NBA. Right. I mean, come on. What, it's not realistic. And Santa Barbara wants no part of a Power Five conference, right? And that's why that's why I said in football. any sport they don't want it, they don't and want to be that's Power what, Five. And that's why I said football because I don't really feel it for UC Santa Barbara and their sports for all the reasons you say. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. But when your football team gets good and you know no matter how good it gets, it's not going to matter. That's not, that's not true. It's it not going to matter. It is. Everybody is where they where they deserve to be. BYU is where they deserve to be. Go ahead and pay your coaches top dollar and then come back to me and say, I told you, I had somebody last week, BYU's cheap, and you're telling me they deserve to be in there? More than They want to be in there, sure. More than Arizona and Kansas. But yet, the running back coach leaves BYU and goes to Arizona knowing darn well it's a sinking ship. Why? Because he's going to make more money. Because they're in a Power 5. That's the whole point. So, BYU, you want to be in a Power 5? Thanks for making the point. Pay Power 5 money. 
Don't tell me you want to do it. Show me. Prove to me you want to do it. I want to win the lottery. I want five supermodels for St. Patrick's Day. I mean, I can want anything I want, but unless I go out and get it, I'm not going to get it. So go ahead. Don't lose a running backs coach to a sinking, crappy program because they pay more money. You're not. You're not Power Five. You're not going to pay. Do everything that the Power Fives are doing. You're not doing it. and then, But yet you expect it? That's not going to happen. Other suggestions for St. Patty's Day and what are you green with envy over? Aaron with the obvious answer, their paychecks. Obviously it's right. their paychecks. Come on. I mean, they've got no financial worries whatsoever. I freaking just got a $13,000 tax bill i got to come up and figure out how to pay. And you're telling me, oh, it's because you make a lot of money. Actually, this year I made way less money than I have in years. And yet. <laughs> so we got to worry about money. What would it be not to have to worry about money? I have no idea. I have no idea. Dustin says, people that can afford better seats than me. I'm envious. I want to be closer. I want Joe Ingles to talk to me in the corner after he hits a three. Grayson says, every NBA team with a ring. A ring. Jewelry. The championship. if you're a jazz fan, that's the one thing you don't have. you pretty much got everything else. Yeah. Hall of Famers, Olympians, great runs, All Stars, great runs, lots of big playoff games. No nonsense. You don't have to deal with much crap. That's franchise rarely do you feel embarrassed to be a fan of the team, if at all. Have you ever felt embarrassed? Maybe a time or two, but nothing compared. I met some idiot fans here recently. That's been embarrassing. Knock that crap off. Cheer and boo. That's it. That'd be Boo, good right there. Clap your hands and go, yay. That's it. That's all you do. <laughs> That'd be Don't good. say anything else. Nothing. Nothing. Go boo or clap your hands and go, yay. That's it. Very simple here, guys. All right. Hit us up on Twitter. The question is up there. David DJ James Moore, your response is coming up. Utes, spring football underway. Morgan Scally meeting with the media. You'll hear from the Utah defensive coordinator next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, it is time now to hear from Morgan Scally, Utah defensive coordinator, meeting with the media for the first time during spring football, spring football getting underway this week. Here is the Utes defensive coordinator, Morgan Scally. Hey, so obviously going into fall camp last year, uh, the defense was the, the big focus of, of a lot of, of the attention on the team, and, and the defense did really well in, in fall. What do you feel like uh, you guys need to do to, to move forward now in spring? Well, I think the biggest thing is we've got to get back to a little bit more to you know who we are in terms of coverage. We're a man coverage team. Last year, when we were going through those uh, phases of getting into fall camp, we weren't really allowed to to play press man uh, because of the rules and regulations. And so now um, that we are, we've got the protocols in place. We're, we're you know, we got to teach our guys man coverage and, and uh, get better at press man. And our guys are doing that. So we were a lot more of a zone coverage team last year. And uh, I believe we got better at our zone coverage ability, but um, we're a man team and that's where we've been able to make our plays and get sacks and, and uh, get disruptive. So uh, getting back into man coverage is a big deal for us. 
following up on that real quick, but you've obviously introduced some zone coverage over the years. So it's not like it's, it's a, a new territory to you, but how hard is it to, to have to adapt to that as a full-time model instead of, of the, that man coverage, like you were speaking of? Uh, not too difficult because again, we have it in our, in our package. It's just, you know, we, we spend the majority of our reps, uh, playing man coverage. Uh, a lot of our pressures are married to man coverage. Um, it's just something that last year we, we upped the dose of our zone and zone pressures. So, uh, getting kind of back to who we are, uh, has been a, a nice, I guess change is maybe not the, the best word, but it is, it is based on what we did last year. We'll go now to Trevor Allen, followed by Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Morgan. Um, I just, I was curious about the cornerbacks. Uh, you, you got, you guys moved Kane Savage over to, to wide receiver, at least during spring. And, you know, obvious, you know, how, how, how deep are you at corner um, for you to be able to make that move? Well, we were also able to move Zamaya Vaughn, uh, who was a free safety for us last year, moved him to corner. So we have the bodies there. We have the guys that we feel have the, the ability, uh, the speed, the, the athleticism to play the corner position. And obviously we're about uh, winning football and that's team football. So whether that's an offensive player coming to defense or a defensive player going to offense, it's all about getting our best guys on the field. And uh, Kane, it was a very good wide receiver in high school. Is gonna gonna add some some speed and athleticism to, to what the offense is doing. So that was a no brainer. And again, we love the guys that we have at the corner position. You know, um, Clark Phillips, Malone Mataele, JT Broughton. Uh, you know the the other guys behind them that are making strides. Fabian Marks, who uh, made some plays last year in the five games that that, that we had there. Zamaya so Vaughn, his length and speed adds, adds to what we're doing. Kenzel Lawler's making progress, so we do. We have the guys that, you know, we feel we can develop uh, into those roles, and we're excited to, to continue. We'll go next to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Morgan. Um, when last season started, R.J. Hubert, you know, was having, I guess, a bit of trouble trying to get all the way back from the injury. Um, you know, he played he played some last season, but as you, as you go into the spring now, can you kind of update us maybe on where he is and just how he's looking so far? You bet. Yeah, R.J. was, was very uh, unselfish in what he gave us last year. He was not 100%. He was not right. With his knee, he was good enough to give us some some uh, valuable reps when needed. Uh, also played on some special teams, but just didn't feel right. Um, and so we rehabbed him all throughout the season last year. Uh, this time off has been huge for him and to get that knee a little bit more stable and uh, get some more strength in those legs. And uh, for at least for the, for the first couple of days, he looks really good. So we're excited to have him back that and just his leadership, this guy that's been on the team, been in the safety room, uh, is able to bring the younger guys along. So love him and what he brings to the table. And another example of, of what, you know, selfless football can do for a team. And just to follow that up, obviously you had a lot of young guys on that defense getting, you know, live game reps during the fall in hindsight, how, how critical was it, to their maturation to, you know, not only be able to get those game reps, but to do so without losing the year of eligibility. Oh, invaluable, invaluable. We were probably one of the teams that benefited the most uh, from that, you know, in terms of just getting your younger guys reps, meaningful reps, 
getting them confidence. Uh, you know, the, the thing that those younger guys have not experienced yet is a crowd. Uh, what an opposing crowd can do to you, what a home crowd can do in terms of, of getting you excited, getting you pumped up. But uh, so we're excited. Hopefully that we're able to get uh, Rice Eccles Stadium going. And, uh, you know, those I know those young players, that's something that they talked about during the offseason is, is, is gaining a, an advantage there with the home crowd. Next up is Trevor Allen, kslsports.com, followed by Cole Bagley from the Daily Utah Chronicle. I know that uh, spring depth charts are always to be taken with a, a, a grain of salt, but you have a Kamoy Latu starting at, at a strong safety. What, it, what has his progress been? I know, I, I know that he, he's gotten time last year, but how, how, how critical is it for his development to, to get as many reps as possible in spring? Always important for those young guys to get reps. Kamoi Latu is what we want in terms of a physical football player. He is what our culture is. You know, he's tough. He's he's uh, bought into the w- the way we do things, and I, I can't tell you how excited I am for uh, for him and his future here at the University of Utah. And uh, you're right, spring depth chart. You, you really can't pay attention to it. Everyone's competing. The only depth chart that really matters is the one uh, come game week. So that's what we tell our players is never worry about what a depth chart is saying, particularly in spring. Uh, just keep competing, keep competing, keep competing. Cole Bagley followed by Josh Furlong. Coach, what kind of value does it bring having a guy like Devin Lloyd uh, returning when he easily could have gone on to the NFL? And what do you expect from him this year? Well, you got Devin, you got Mika, you got Viana. There's a bunch of guys that, that had opportunities and uh, to have them back again, particularly if they're leaders, if they do lead by example, if they are, you know, compelling and they bring others along with them, you always want to have those guys in the program. So that's, that's been huge. Devin, uh, you know, it was a leader last year. He's a leader this year and leaders lead and there's, there's no drop off there. So um, not only in the backer room, but you can see him holding other guys accountable in other position groups. He's, he's just a guy that gets it. Not just not calling guys out. It's also, you know, promoting our culture. And when guys are doing things right, give him a, give him a pat on the back. So uh, love Devin, love me, those guys that, that, that are compelling and leading. Um, great to have those guys in the program. Josh Furlong. And Morgan, in the offseason, you guys were able to target a ton of, of linebackers and build that room. What, what was kind of some of the conversations that went on this, this in, you know, in the offseason that, that allowed you guys to be able to pick up some of these guys? And why has Utah become such a destination for that spot specifically? Well, um, you know, you recruit to your numbers. You know, the guys that you lose, uh, where you feel you, you lack depth. And that was one of the positions we felt we needed to strengthen. So um, we did that in recruiting. Colton Swan did, a, did an awesome job of targeting the guys that he wanted that fit our culture. And we just recruited the, the snot out of them. And we're, we're fortunate to get a good group to come in in terms of why it's such a valuable position, why, why backers want to come to Utah. It's just look at the defensive front. Those guys that take up blocks, that d- demand double teams, uh, and allow your backers to roam free and make plays. The reason our backers are the most productive football players on the team is because those D-line do such a, a great job of owning their role. And, uh, you know, 
trust me, the, uh, Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell, they're grateful. And they, and they tell those guys, those defensive linemen, how grateful they are for them and what they do. It's a team sport. And, uh, you know, the backers in our defense are going to be productive based on how the D-line does. Our final question will come from Trevor Allen. This is more of a uh, off-topic question, but uh, with Urban Meyer and Quinton Ganther going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, just what were your thoughts as someone that you played with and played for? Well, I, you know, I'm fired up for Urban, the opportunity he has, um, and I'm excited to watch uh, the progress there in terms of Quinton Ganther. Um, I've loved that, loved that guy, you know, ever since I played with him. He is a player's coach. He's also very demanding, which his coaches were with him. And, uh, you know, I see those players to that level really buying into Quinton and, and his way of doing things. So uh, Jacksonville's lucky to have those two. There is Morgan Scally and PK. You listen to that, and I think that's an answer you fans have wanted to hear for a long time about the linebackers. When linebackers were a weakness, it didn't make sense. Playing behind that D-line, you would think linebackers would want to be there, and now Morgan says, indeed, they do, and they've now had a string of good linebackers. So finally that resonated, and it's really paying off. Hum, baby, is it paying off. Oh, my goodness, they are cashing in. Yeah, you've been watching a lot of spring training, haven't you? Hum, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Always with the baseball references. Hum, baby, that's a baseball reference. Yeah, the Giants lived and died with that thing. That was on T-shirts and caps. Hum, baby? Hum, baby! (laughs) Something you're supposed to say when you're a Giants fan. Here we go. Hum, baby. Hum, baby! (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Linebackers are rocking. Everybody's rocking at uh, Utah. They're strong in all three levels. If they had a fourth level, they'd be strong there, too. (laughs) Take it to the fourth level. <laughs> Kyle looks at you. What are you talking about? I oh, drop he does that. that often with me. I know he does. That's why I want you to drop that in on a Friday. <laughs> Kyle, you've been good at all three levels. When are you going to take it to the fourth level? <laughs> I don't think Kyle really respects my football knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> he, he comes to me for the abuse and the one-liners. That's about it. <laughs> And then I start talking football, he just sticks up his hand, gives me the palm. I don't, shut, I don't, shut up. I don't think football coaches walk into that room <laughs> to talk to the media looking for football knowledge. <laughs> That's not what they're doing. I think the smart ones walk into that room and think, this is a different way for me to coach my team. I'm going to get my message out there, and it's going to percolate back to my players. And it doesn't matter if it's college or pro. And everybody's got friends and family and relatives, and they hear this stuff, and it gets back to them. And it's another way to get the message out. I think that's what they're looking. That's what the smart ones are looking for when they walk into that room. They're not looking for your football knowledge. I do think they enjoy talking about their sport, though. So if you come prepared and ask them what they deem as a as a good question, and I've felt this for years, you'll get a quality answer ninety nine times out of one hundred. Yes, I can think of uh, multiple coaches. That's true. I think I sense that as tiresome as Zoom is, I think I get that from Quinn during Zoom stuff. You can hear when he hears a question that he really wants to address. When it's a little different, 
and there's a little thought that goes into it, and if it gives him a chance to coach his team. <laughs> you know, he, he loves to talk about defense in the media. He knows it gets back to his team, and he harps on it. That was a great win against the Celtics, and we can talk about all the great shots and all that. And if they'd given up 125 points, they would have lost the game. But they gave up 109 points, so they won the game. Two or three possessions a quarter. If you're a little better than normal, it's the difference between winning and losing. And it paid off. I think coaches, they want you to put in the work. And if you, at least from my experience. Bronco, definitely. Yeah, oh, Bronco was right there with anybody. Sure. And that's one of the things I miss now. uh, And it's been trending this way. And and I'm glad that, you know, obviously the the bulk of my media life is behind me, not in front of me. Uh, You rarely get the opportunity to have these one-on-ones where you can delve into stuff. Everything is in group interviews. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, for me, I, I, I just it's one of the joys of the business, and I don't get to do it near as much as I used to, just to stand or sit down with somebody and delve into a topic about whatever. Mm-hmm. A uh, year before last in Vegas with Mark Few, I got him for like eight minutes and just what it takes to build a program and you could tell, man, he was so into it, and it was just the two of us. And that's that's what I really enjoy. And if you come prepared, they'll they'll, they'll tell you stuff. engage yeah. you big time. Yeah. And but we don't you don't get to do that much now. It's just one question, and then the next guy or next person has a question that could be entirely different than your question. Yep. And so there's really never any big time flow to what's going on. Never, ever. And the funny thing is, I've now started to hear people uh, on the other side complain about that. And uh, Andre Godala has been in the NBA a long time. And he said yeah. he doesn't like that everything is a question and a reaction and goes to Twitter. He said, I enjoyed the conversations, you know, and I missed that. But there's no opportunity for that. Tony you know? LaRussa, who's now the White Sox manager, said on a Zoom call, this is maybe not even three weeks ago, I'm looking forward to a day when I can meet with you guys in person again. I do not like this Zoom setup. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Oh, yeah, he's it's, as old school as they get. But, but, he is. but to PK's point, like this is the way it's been trending generally. You know, it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's and, and there are multiple reasons for that, and there are multiple reasons that uh, athletic directors or, or coaches or general managers, independent college or pro, want it that way. You know, I mean, when the Jazz rebuilt the arena, they rebuilt the room where you do the media. Jerry Sloan used to walk out and stand. First, he used to just stand. Then eventually, he stood behind a podium. And he would stand there and talk. And if you wanted to have that conversation you're talking about, PK, you would have it. You'd have to wait for everyone else at the end. And he was willing to have it. And after shoot-around, he had all kinds of time. When they rebuilt the room, so now they control whether they hand you the mic or not. And the coach enters and exits through a door. And you never get within yeah, 10 yeah. Ten feet is probably as yeah. close as you get. There will be. I mean, they designed the room so that there will be no conversations. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I'm clear on what the plan is because you built that door right there. Um, and so something is lost there. Something is gained, I guess. Um, I've always felt though that if the newsmaker wants to control the media, the best way to do it is to control the access. If you eliminate access, now people can just go and say whatever. They got nothing to lose. <laughs> they got you know, they got nothing to lose. You always talk about you know the 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 newspaper reporter. Not all of them, but a lot of them are grinders. And the TV people, not all of them, but a lot of them, going to be real nice, right? Well, when you're, I can tell you, when you're trying to book players on a Sunday night show, it's never that far out of your brain. 
But once players are banned from Sunday night shows, eh, okay. <laughs> Don't have to worry about losing access there. So, you know, the, the businesses are what they are, but when you change the rules, you know, you do kind of change the nature of the business. And there's, there's pluses and minuses. I don't know that everyone enjoys the give and take. I mean, how many media sessions have you seen with Popovich? Not just first and third quarters, but like media sessions where he's just snapping at people. I think he's backing off that right. little bit. I, I, think he, I think he snapped more three to five years ago. Um, well, I mean, the last year you can't really compare. Um, but I think he was backing off that a little bit. So it's not that everyone enjoys it, but you're right. More people enjoy it than not. And the side conversation when not everything is a quote and everything is a headline, when they explain to you how things really are, you know, stuff Morgan Scally says you don't know because you're not in the building at 530. You know, you don't know everything it takes to build a program until you talk to, to Mark Few. And he's done it. And he's done it to a high level. But right. he wasn't worried about you tweeting out everything, trying to find one thing that, you know, might be taken out of context, might be spun 90 degrees and, you know, go off on its own. It was more big picture stuff. Yeah, I wasn't looking to bust them by any stretch. Right. You know, but how does it, I don't how really does it do work? That. I'm not looking to do that anymore anyway. Those days are gone. I, I just want to have conversation because I think the fan enjoys conversation as opposed to question, answer, question, answer. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Your feedback, everything you've been talking about this show, coming up next. Stay with us. March Madness is here, and now it's time to put that college basketball knowledge to the test. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, where you can compete against the Zone hosts as well as Zone listeners. Oh, my goodness! Log on now to 1280zonebracket.com to fill out your bracket for a chance to win a Nordic Track X22i bike. Valued at over $2,000 as well as other great prices. It's the Zone Bracket Challenge, going on now at 1280zonebracket.com. Presented by The Store, SNS Roofing, Bullfrog Spas, and Elite Works. Obviously, I've told both of them, hey, it's going to be, you know, the two of you are going to compete for this position, and, and, and they understand it, and they'll come in. We've already had a chance to, to see both of them to some degree. I think last year was important for us relative to Jameis. It gave us a year to evaluate him, and it also gave him a year to evaluate us. Sean Payton. New Orleans Saints head coach talking about the quarterback plans. Jameis Winston and the Saints have been evaluating each other. Now competition with Taysom Hill. Maybe there'll be a home run hit, but it looks like all the big names we thought might be moving aren't. Looks like things have settled down with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Roethlisberger has his deal in Pittsburgh. Watson and Wilson, for all the talk, are still in Houston and Seattle. So assuming there are no blockbusters and there's a $39 million cap hit if Seattle trades Wilson, so you know they're really going to try to avoid that. Uh, Then there's at least for one year, we'll see what happens after that, but at least for one year, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, head-to-head for the Saints' starting job. Great. I hope Taysom wins it. The Saints became our team this year for a while, PK. We got a lot of Saints games on TV, as many as we did Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders. So a lot of Saints football, and I assume that Taysom was a big part of the reason why. I mean, obviously they have a good team and all that, but that gave it a little something extra. Most popular ex-Cougar since Steve Young. Yes. Who's second? Because it's a long way to second. Well, Detmer, when Detmer had an opportunity to play, but it was sporadic. I mean, Detmer was understood that he was an undersized guy, so just being in the league was an accomplishment. Uh, 
Sorensen with the Chiefs is getting a lot of run because yeah. they've been really good. Yep, and he's made plays Kyle for him. Kyle Van Noy was a Super Bowl dude with New England, and he's really good. Apparently headed back to New England after a year in Miami. Other stuff we talked about, uh, the NBA last night, the Utah Jazz getting a win over the Boston Celtics. Donovan Mitchell didn't shoot the ball well until he did. Two big three-pointers down the stretch. Rudy had a good game, I thought. Uh, shot the free throws reasonably well and uh, had a big dunk in traffic that fired everybody up and challenged a lot of shots. Always a key with him. Flying around the floor, defending pick and rolls, challenging shots. And the Jazz, who had their issues at times, a ton of turnovers earlier, but really, really eliminated them in the second half. And four turnovers and a half, you'll take that every time. And that's what they did in the second half. So... They get the win against Boston. And we had Joe Ingles on, and it's one regular season game, so you don't want to overhype it, but they didn't finish the Houston game the right way, and they didn't play well against Golden State, so it was time to play well and get a win and feel good, and they did. Well, it's just to check it off. I think the exhilaration, if there's even that, of the win is not as equal to the despair of if there was a loss. Yeah, that's probably true. And that's, that's a good spot to be in, though, because you're expected to win. You did win. That's great. On the next one. You lose. You're expected to win. How could you lose that game? What's going on? You've lost five of nine, blah, 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 whatever it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they've earned that spot to be in to where we get more concerned with the losses than we do excited about the wins under most situations what i mean by that if they beat the lakers full strength or the clippers full strength everybody's going to be way excited uh but most of these teams they're better than at this point so we don't get overly excited on the win we just check it off and say all right that's one more win and add it to the column and move on to the Keep going along this trip, whatever is the short term. The long term, obviously, is the postseason. And that's where they're at. Where if they lose, oh, no, man. What, what, what was that phenomenal run? Was it really just uh, fake and it's not real? And now we're seeing these true colors and then blah, 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 blah. So we create all this nonsense in our minds. And we didn't have to do that because they played well enough down the stretch to win the game. And that's where we're at. And we will do that tomorrow. And we'll do that Friday and Monday and so forth and so on. I don't know if you remember saying this, but somewhere around the 10th or 15th game of the season, well, it wasn't 10th, it was 15th or 20th, they were putting together that 11-game win streak. And you said, this is great, and the kind of season it is, we're going to remember all the losses and we're not going to remember the wins because there's going to be too many wins to remember and they're going to blend together, but the losses are going to jump out at us. And right now, for the 10 losses, I can pretty much tell you the opponent and tell you a major storyline to the game. And for the 29 wins, I mean, obviously I can remember Boston and Houston because they just happened. But you start going back to February and January, and the wins are definitely running together. I can't tell you who they were. I can't tell you that much about the games. And that's a great spot to be in. Right. It is. That's indicative of their talent. Next up, Washington. The team's already there. We spoke to Joe this morning. They're already in the hotel. They're playing the Wizards tomorrow night, 5 o'clock on NBA TV, and the Wizards are 10 games under 500. And, yes, Bradley Beal might go off for 50 and might win a game, but, hey, you played a good game. If you go play a good game, you're going to win this thing 99 times out of 100. Go play well. You know, play play the game, not the opponent, and you're good. You ought to be in a good place. And then you're 2-1 yeah. and one on the trip. And then we start talking about, oh, are they going to finish – Three and two. Are they going to finish four and one? I mean, if they finish four and one, then the Warriors game is really a footnote. It's a good road trip. Oh, I'd agree. Yeah, I think that's well within the reason this uh, Wizards game is a makeup game, right? From the COVID earlier. Yeah. 
And so got an opportunity to beat a crappy team. Take advantage of it, man. They, that, that's basically all it is. I'm not going to jump up and down if they win. Probably not going to be too desperate if they lose, but I'm going to be more ticked if they lose if they lose than I am going to be happy if they win. Right. But that means you got a good team, and they don't. So it's a position you want to be in. Speaking of 50-point games, Damian Lillard, yikes, 50 for the Blazers. They needed a 25-7 to run to end the game, to win the game by one. And with like 5.45 to go, they were down to 117-100, and they got it done. And Lillard had 15 of the last 25 points. He had seven, the last seven points for the Blazers all in the final minute. Big at the free throw line, big with three-pointers. He did it all, and the Pelicans did nothing with uh, Brandon Ingram going 0 for 2 at the free throw line, and then they're playing the foul game at the end, and the Pelicans, all they got to do is inbound and get fouled and hit free throws, and they turn the ball over. Guy takes his eye off the ball, and it bounces out of bounds. It, was, it goes to what you said earlier. The Pelicans are young, and they're talented, but they don't know how to win, and they messed up a winnable game, and Lillard would not let them off the hook. No. And he had it going on. He has got it going on. They're a very dangerous yep. team. Well, what is, that, what is that stat with him and McCollum? Anytime they combine for 30, they're, they're likely no. going to win. Combine for 60. Oh, 30. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 30, not 30. Yeah, they get that in the first quarter. Uh, 60, my bad. Yes. And Lillard had 50, and McCollum coming back. He's been out injured for a long time, but now he's back, and he played a little bit. Didn't shoot it particularly well, as you'd expect. Uh, you know, yeah. he played for a long time. So 3 for 11, 3 for 10, 3 Isn't for 11. Isn't that shooting. that old uh, Al Adels story? He and Wilt uh, combined, combined for 106 points one night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Something like that. That's a great line. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, 10 points for McCollum, but uh, he'll you figure he'll get it. Well, it's good for them he'll that he's get back. Absolutely. He'll get it together and check back in two or three weeks, and he'll be playing a lot better as he gets back into the flow of things. Still on a minutes restriction, I think. So, Lakers crush the Timberwolves 137 to 121. So, three of the top six in the West play the Blazers, the Lakers, and the Jazz, and all three pick up victories. Larry Kristoviak's out at the University of Utah. We spent a little bit of time on that. Predictable. Missed the tournament five years in a row at the at uh, missed the NCAA tournament five years in a row at the University of Utah, and you are probably going to be an ex basketball coach, and that is where they are. And now Mark Harlan has got to figure out who's the guy. And we're getting all kinds of suggestions. We'll get to the feedback next. All kinds of people with local to regional ties of one type or another. But it wasn't the release. It'll be a national search, and the Utes. Top 15 all-time in wins, top 15 all-times in win percentage, four Final Fours, 16 Sweet 16s. This is a program with a proud tradition and legacy. they got Power 5 money, so why not a national search, PK? The AD's worked in Florida and California. He's literally worked all across the country. I don't know if he's had a job in the Central Time Zone, but he's been in the other three, so why wouldn't it be a national search? The people he he has crossed paths with have found out all over the place, so of course it'll be a national search as much as people look at you know, people with local ties. Oh, yeah. I mean, you owe it to your to your program, to your university, to your fans to find the best person that you think is available to take this job. And I think there's plenty of worthy, qualified candidates. I mean, this, this is a great job, I believe. And I'm excited to see what he does because this is his first real test that will draw widespread critique, good or bad, indifferent, whatever it might be. I'll take the approach of, well, we'll give the man time because that's that's just been my standard approach when it comes to coaching uh, jobs and selections because you never really know, and let's see what he can do. Uh, I'm excited for this opportunity. 
You know, he's put himself in this position to earn this right to make this call. So now who are you going to come up with? And there'll be a lot of speculation going forward. And I would imagine in two, three weeks they would uh, wind it up and, and away we go. Unless there's somebody out there that he wants to see who's still coaching, maybe that could push it back. There's really not an, a huge time pressure. I mean, I'd, I'd say you, you've got a few weeks to, to figure it out and away you go. they got to get this program on track. It deserves to be on track. It's a, it's a storied program. Well, even even if the coach is still coaching, you know, the field of 68 is going to be down to 16 in five days. So that's going to free up a lot of people, depending on who he's looking at. And maybe the, maybe he'll want one of the last 16. I don't, I don't know. But I think a lot of those people are going to be free. So I do think that two- to three-week window you're talking about is probable. I mean, there's stuff that could stretch it out. But if you were, if you were a betting man right now, that two- to three-week timeline you speak of, that, that's, that's the right timeline. If you find someone, but, you know, there's a lot of shucking and jiving at the Final Four, or maybe mm-hmm. not this year. I don't know what the, what the rules are with the COVID deal. So, yeah. It's a, it's a great place to interview people because for all the media trying to track you, everybody's there and it's not, you can't track, you know, we see these reports, you know, who's on a plane? So-and-so's on a plane to somewhere and it's going to touch down, right? You yeah, don't, I don't have know any of that at the Final Four. It, year, maybe not. Right. So, and you, you can do a lot on phone and, and mm-hmm. however. Zoom. Virtual, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever. whatever. I mean, the, the facilities speak for themselves. I, I would imagine that there's going to be whoever it is has some degree of knowledge of Utah and has been there and have seen uh, the facility, knows about it and blah, 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 and knows at least has some working knowledge. I don't think it's going to be uh, completely – out of the realm. Like even Urban Meyer had some degree of Utah knowledge having coached a little bit at Colorado State. Uh, so, and, and then you can get up to speed pretty quick too uh, by talking to folks. So uh, my guess is there's there'll be some type of connection one way or the other. It won't be somebody that he knew from Florida who's never been out here. Maybe not, but that that's my guess. Uh, anything else you'd like to uh, pass along here? Anything else we hit on? Anything? Uh, Patrick Stevens came on with the Washington Post, helped people fill out the brackets. He covers college sports and college basketball pretty thoroughly. Thought he largely agreed with uh, our assessments of the, the Aggies and Cougars and their opponents. Uh, one thing I would disagree in a little bit, I think Gonzaga, it is a burden. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Maybe burden's the wrong word because that, that has a connotation of negative. Extra pressure. But I think if you've gone through undefeated, that adds a little something. And particularly when you're Gonzaga and people wonder, okay, this is how good you are. But Gonzaga's got an opportunity to just shut up everybody. I would love to see it. <laughs> I, would, I would love to see them win. And just really this non-Power 5. Although, to me, they're a Power 5 in terms of basketball, in terms because they can devote 90% of their stuff to basketball. They don't have to worry about football. And we've, we've seen that, you know, with a Villanova and a Marquette. It's not that unusual. Butler. Uh, uh, yeah, these programs, the, well, they're basically these Big East programs, you know, that mm-hmm. don't have the football played, and they have uh, money to, to put there, and they've built up these tremendous basketball programs, and obviously that's what Gonzaga has done. They would be my sentimental uh, favorite. You know, those, I'd love to see the two locals go as far as they can go because that's great for business, obviously. 
All right, DJ and PK, your feedback is coming up next. Stay with us. It's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for the feedback, all the stuff you have been saying about today's show. What are you green with envy about on St. Patrick's Day? Legally Grand says, anyone with a 36-inch-plus vertical leap. Ah, to be a Skywalker, PK. Mm, yeah. I knew he's, old, he's envy, envious of me. Ryan... Ryan Stevens. I jump out of the gym. Uh-huh. Ryan Stevens, probably your burner account, PK. Cities with a Major League Baseball team. Ah, huh? Make it happen. Mm, it'd be nice. I'm trying to put together a group. We'll have an announcement here shortly. Andrew says, the Dodgers. I'm jealous of anyone in the NCAA tournament because I haven't seen my team playing college basketball's biggest stage in the past five years. Jealous of 68 schools. Mm. Change that's is coming. Utes. Yeah, I assume that's the Utes. Yep. Jo- Josh says, uh, man, I'm, I'm envious of uh, $10 million annual salaries for bench warners. I'm really good at sitting on my ass and feeling <laughs> extremely underpaid. <laughs> yeah, they do make a ton of money. It's amazing. Riley Jensen, who comes on our show, tweets at us and says, what if we could hypnotize all fans and help them realize that even if Donovan Mitchell goes 4 for 15 in a game, they're still watching greatness? Okay, sure, at times. I mean, that that shot he hit, man, he looks so freaking smooth, too. Yeah, you know, I have a problem. He just looks like uh, the... Go ahead. I have a problem singling out the one shot. And I get it came later, which makes it bigger than the other three, but I thought both the threes were big at the end of the game, and I thought it was easier to shoot the single one, which I get is later and more critical, but because that first one at about the three-and-a-half-minute mark or so, that was a big shot at the time. The Celtics were on a—the Jazz had called timeout. It was a 7-2-9-0, whatever it was. Uh, Like a seven- or eight-point lead had gone down to one. So I thought that was a big shot. When he hit that one, I thought it made the next one easier. I thought both of them were huge. Well, I'm not talking about any individual shot. What I'm talking about is just the way he plays. And when he makes these shots, how smooth he looks. I mean, he's just under control completely. It just looks like if you were to draw up a textbook player on how to shoot a jump shot, how to lead into the shot and everything, it just looks so right. It looks like this is the way. It's like the perfect golf swing. Eric says, I'm envious of soccer teams with owners. Going to have to wait a while. Long conversation here uh, because some people have said, uh, have compared Utah to Utah State and BYU, and we got a Utah fan saying we shouldn't be compared to Utah State and BYU. You, we should be compared to the top four or five teams in the Pac-12 because they're doing what we ought to be doing. Utah State and BYU aren't winning in the tournament, and Utah ought to win in the tournament. Yes, but they're going, and you can't win if you don't go, I guess is other people's point. That's a long-running debate. Going back to the point, there's still a rivalry between Utah, BYU, and Utah State. Even if Utah doesn't want to play BYU and Utah doesn't play Utah State, the, the rivalry flames are alive and well. Uh, yes, and then that's particular to this state. 
because we've got these uh, three schools. We've got obviously more than that that play Division One basketball, but those are the three we're talking about right now. But also, two, you are competing with your conference. That's an absolute given. T. Hodges says, I'm jealous of states that have professional football and baseball teams. He wants the NFL and Major League Baseball. Uh, I would take both. I would be happy with both, yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we are about out of time. Anything else you'd like to share with the people before we hit the road here? Just keep the faith. It'll pay off in the end. Too early to have a name for the U job? Uh, for me, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a 10, 15 names, but I don't think there's anything that's being narrowed down. For people rooting for the local guys, and we've got a lot of names coming in here, and people have got their favorites, and we can get to that on another day. Uh, but obviously there are people saying uh, Mark Pope and Craig Smith because they're winning, you know, 45 minutes, an hour away. Uh, they're winning, and you fans are sitting watching them win. There are also people tweeting at us that uh, – Alex Jensen and Johnny Bryant, two former players, bring them back, although they're coaching to the pro ranks. So although it's not an impossible uh, career turn, it's also not a perfect fit either. Uh, They haven't been recruiting and building recruiting networks and have to build that into their staff. If I gave you those— Well, Alex did at St. Louis. Right. If I gave you those four or the field, which would you take right now? I know what I would take. Field, just just statistically, I would go field. Yeah, I would too. But, uh, I mean, Craig Smith and Mark Pope have made their marks as, as far as college coaches, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they look like their trajectory is pointed up. So, uh, But uh, I'm not going to criticize any hire because you got to give that person time to do the job. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Scotty and Hans are next. We will see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.